Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to the book of Philemon. The book of Philemon, chapter one. One chapter, one little chapter. Now, this beautiful, beautiful chapter, this beautiful, beautiful book, inspired of the Lord, is loaded with truth. It could be at least, at least 10 chapters. At least 10 chapters. But there's no need. The reason why is because we have a, it's like, it, 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 it's jam-packed with a conglomeration of our prior studies all the way back from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and all the way to Titus. All the way to Titus. From 1 Corinthians all the way to the end of Titus. And here we are in Philemon. Now, if you're listening for the first time, make sure you listen to those prior studies from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 because it will help you to grow and mature in Christ. Now, what's so beautiful is... You could be a baby Christian, a brand new believer. Say you came to the Lord just today. Say you came to the Lord just maybe last week. Philemon, it's a beautiful, beautiful book and powerful, powerful study. But as mature, if you came to the Lord, say, a year ago or two years ago or three or five plus years ago, Philemon is beautiful but even more. And these are things that we're going to study in, you know, in today's, in, in today's study through the book of Philemon. But then at the same time, having this, if you've been walking with us for a while, having this knowledge of our prior studies all the way back from first Corinthians chapter one. And we'll explain this in our studies. Now, most people, most people, most pastors, most teachers, most seminaries, most theology schools, professors, Bible colleges, I say most, but probably all, do not include Philemon in the pastoral epistles. Most, if not all, do not include Philemon in the pastoral epistles. But I say rubbish, rubbish, because Philemon is a leader and a shepherd in a home fellowship. Home fellowship. Now, because he's a shepherd and a leader in a home fellowship, it, regardless of size, people think, okay, to be a pastor, you have to have a church of 100 people. To be a pastor, you have to have a church of, you know, 200 people or 50 people or 30 people. Rubbish. When we look at the qualifiers, full package, full package, we're not talking, you know, Run of the mill. We're not talking, you know, we're talking full package now. Now that we have this studies through the pastoral epistles, uh, first Timothy, second Timothy, and Titus, we know what the package deal is. The full package, not package, not zero package, not package one, not package two, not package three. We're talking full package. Now, if you're listening for the first time, I know you're like, what in the world is this guy talking about? Well, purpose in your heart purpose in your heart to listen to those prior studies from 1 Corinthians on. And we make the distinction between the pastoral epistles. Now, when we remember the pastoral epistles, we also make the distinction between field and worker, field and worker. So there's several distinctions that need to be made in the life of a Christian, field and worker. That's one. And then number two is, uh, uh, you know, with field and worker or at the same time, there's uh uh, like leaven and remnant, 
You see, it's very important to make these distinctions. Now, within the remnant, there's also, you know, baby, adolescent, mature, and then straight up deadly. We make these distinctions. Now, if you're listening for the first time, it's almost like a shocker. Like, what in the world is he talking about? But if you've been walking with us for a while, it's like, wow, you know, it's it's so powerful. It's so beautiful. And it will help you not only to grow and mature deeper in a love relationship with Jesus Christ, but being equipped with the truth of God's holy word, it will help you fight the good fight. It will help you fight the good fight. Now, most people, if not all, do not include Philemon in the pastoral epistles, but I got a secret to tell you. I'm not most people. Philemon is a leader. It's a home fellowship, tiny church, tiny church. But I consider him a pastor. I consider him a teacher, a shepherd. And you know what? So does the Bible. And so we see here, this is... Colossi, I, I always, you know, I have a weird time with Colossi because, you know, I've heard, so, you know, the Brainiacs, it's Colossae, you know, Colossae, the, you know, in, 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 the, in the Greek, it's pronounced Colossae. So, you know, sometimes I say Colossi, I might say Colossae, I might say Colosh, but it's in Colossians, you know, there's Colossians and Philemon written 62 AD, about, you know, 62 AD. And Paul wrote two letters to the Colossians. One was to the Colossian saints, and we've studied, the, you know, our, our study through the and uh, in the Colossian letter. But then at the same time, Philemon, Philemon. And if you remember our study, you know, don't forget that Paul he's only known by word of mouth, only by word of mouth and letter. You know, the letter he wrote, and you know, word of mouth. Now. Remember, it was Epaphras who shared the gospel in Colossae. It was, it, he shared the gospel in Colossae. And that's found in Colossians chapter 1, verse 7. No one has had a face-to-face encounter with Paul. And that's found in Colossians chapter 2, verse 1. No one has had face-to-face. It was, uh, it was uh, Epaphras who shared the gospel. And what's so beautiful is how the word spread, the, root, the word grew, people grew in the word. But then at the same time, you know, I don't say this to discredit Epaphras in any way, shape, or form. It's beautiful. I see Epaphras as kind of like a Philip. You know, remember our study in the book of Acts where we had mentioned Philip, how he had, you know, uh, he was uh, 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 an evangelist. And he had his daughters who were prophetesses. But then when... You see how Philip, the evangelizer, he would go and evangelize. But remember, it was uh, 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 John and Peter who came to town and they realized, well, wait a second. You know, the people followed Philip. They received Jesus Christ. They were baptized into Jesus Christ. And it was John and Philip who perceived that. Wait a second. The spirit had not yet fallen on these people. You see? And so they laid hands on them, you know, uh, John and Peter. And they laid hands and the Holy Spirit fell on them. Except for one, Simon. You see? So it's not to say that Philip is any less. It's just to say that Philip combined with Peter and John. Remember, the body caring for the body. One body, many parts. It's not to discredit Epaphras as Epaphras goes into Colossae and shares the good news. And not to say like, oh, you know, he was a, 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 
like unable to do it or he didn't do a good job. No, he he served the Lord and people came to Christ. But then at the same time, remember something too, is that Paul is different. We make these distinctions where, you know, he's not like the average bear and it's not to exalt Paul, it's to exalt Christ in Paul. Paul is different. Even Peter acknowledges that Paul is different. Remember, he says, you know, these people, they twist the scriptures, but, you know, Paul, he knows what he's talking about. He tells the saints, he says, you know, listen to Paul because he knows his stuff. You see, something different about Paul. And Paul pouring into the next generation of pastors as we studied in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and then also in Titus. But don't forget Philemon, a shepherd in a tiny church, home fellowship. You see? And threats abound. It's not to discredit Epaphras. Epaphras was an evangelist and he served the Lord. But as one body with many parts, understand that, you know, it is 62 AD and we make these correlations, you know, we make these, these timestamps so that we know, you know, correlating passages, correlating uh, verses in the book of Acts, where are we on a specific timeline? But don't forget that threats abound. Threats abound in the early church and even today, threats abound. If you turn really quick to Colossians chapter 2, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 4, this is what is written, Colossians chapter 2, verse 4. Now, this is Paul writing to the saints in Colossae. He says, now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. Remember, the threat is there. So I meant Colossians chapter 1, verse uh, 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 verse. Uh, uh, verse 7, as you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant. So Epaphras is like a Philip, you know, evangelizing and sharing the good news. And then at the same time, we look at chapter 2 in Colossians chapter 4, or or chapter 2 in Colossians verse 4. He says, now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. Remember, the threat is always, remember our study in Galatians? How, yes, the saints in Galatia, they're Christians. They believe in Jesus Christ. But then Paul says, I marvel that you turn away so soon. Why? Because the pseudodelphos, pseudo, fake, fake, delphos, brothers, pseudodelphos, fake brethren, false brethren. They came in to spy. And it's not to spy for the sake of spying. It's to spy for the sake of bringing into bondage. You see, so the saints in Galatia were saints, but the problem was they were attempting to be saved by the law and through the law, and that can't happen because we're saved by grace. The fulfillment of the law, which is Jesus Christ. You see, it's very important to understand this framework of righteousness, this holy recipe, the formula, very specific formula. And so here in chapter 2, Colossians, in chapter 2, verse 4, Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. Just like he says to the Corinthians. Remember, you know, I'm afraid for you, lest anyone, uh, lest you, you, anyone come, in to, uh, uh, come in with a different spirit. They preach a different Jesus and a different gospel. And he says, I'm afraid because you guys might put up with it. And he's saying the same thing to the saints in Colossae. You guys might put up with it. 
says, I say this lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. In verse 5, for though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit. I love that so much. It's so powerful because, you know, it's like, you know, he wasn't there. Paul wasn't there in Colossae. But at the same time, I'm with you in spirit. And he says, rejoicing to see your good order and steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. You see, walk in him. Is to believe in Jesus Christ, have faith in Jesus Christ, but don't be a hearer of the word only. Also be a doer of the word. So walk in him. And what does that look like? Well, to be rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. And then comes a warning. Beware. Beware, lest anyone, lest anyone, I don't care what he looks like, I don't care what she looks like, I don't care what school he went to, I don't care what school she went to, I do not care. Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. You see, we have to make these distinctions. And that was a threat upon the saints in Colossae. And it's not just the threat upon the saints. We see the same threat in, 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 in Galatia. We see the same threat in, in, in Corinth. You see, there's always going to be threats in the life of a Christian. Threats upon you, threats upon me. But being rooted and built up in Christ and established in the faith. And don't forget, armed. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal in nature, but powerful, supernatural, and powerful, able to bring down strongholds. And it's very interesting when you remember our study through the book of Acts, you see Paul, and he's fighting as a valiant warrior, spiritually, bringing, t- tearing down strongholds. That's what he's doing. We, we, we see it in the book of Acts. But then at the same time, he gets arrested. And it's like, okay, he's arrested. Now you, you, you're going you're gonna to see him fight. You're gonna see, he gets arrested and you, you're going to see him fight and he's beat up people. But you don't see that. Carnally speaking, you would expect to see that. But we don't walk according to the carnal nature. You see him fight valiantly in the book of Acts. But it's according to the spirit. Because he's in prison. And, you know, even when the the earthquake happened and there was an opportunity to be free and the Philippian jailer thought that, okay, they they left. I'm not, you know, they they left. So I'm going to check out. I'm going to commit suicide. And then, you know, he's, you know, see, don't do that. Don't commit suicide. We're still here. It's like, wait a second. So he had the opportunity to be free, but he didn't take it. Because our fight Our fight is according to the Spirit. It is not according to the flesh. And understand that threats, you're always going to have the threats. You, me, together, we're always going to have these threats. 
but we grow, we mature in Christ. Just as he says, to be rooted and built up and established in Christ. And don't forget to be armed. And then also don't forget with the fishing pole. That's it. It's it's beautiful. And so, like, say for example, you and me, we get in a time machine, we go back to Colossae, where are we going to go to church? Say there's 10 churches. Where are we going to go to church? We understand that the threats abound. We understand, as Paul says, you know, to not be, uh, 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 to not be, uh, 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 led away, uh, through philosophy. If anyone comes to cheat us through philosophy and empty deceit and, 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 you know, he says, he says, uh, uh, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. We understand that the threat is there. Where do we go to church? Remember, we're in Colossae. We've gotten a time machine. We're in Colossae. Where do we go to church? Where do we go to fellowship? Do we go to church number one, church number two, ch- ch- church number two, church number three, church number four, church number five? Where do we go to fellowship? And then we catch wind that there's a little fellowship in the home of Philemon. There's a little fellowship. It's not in the town square. It's not in the major metropolis. It's out in the boonies. A home fellowship. They meet in a house. You see? Where do we go to church? I kind of see Philemon as a Chloe. You see? Now, Chloe has... She kind of maxes out at a certain level because she cannot have authority over males. Because remember, we understand the framework, the the recipe. She has no authority. She cannot have authority over a male. And so she she has like a, a, a threshold that, you know, but at the same time, Philemon, he doesn't have, he, he doesn't have those, uh, 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 he, as male, now he does have authority over other males. Now, if you're female and you're listening for the first time, make sure you go back and you listen to the very beginning of the pastoral epistles because there's some pretty hardcore exhortations exhortations for females, my beautiful sisters in Christ. It's not a, you know, a feminine or like a like a misogynist, you know, a male chauvinist type of perspective. That's carnal. But in the Bible, coverings are always male. Coverings are always male. It's very important to understand that coverings are always male. The covering of Jesus Christ, male. You see, him in submission to his father, male. You see? But there are coverings that are female, which we see in the womb. A womb is a covering for a child. A female covering for children. Female covering for other women. Very important to understand these things, even more so in these last days, because what's happening in the church today is a lot of women, my beautiful sisters in Christ, a lot of women are just, they can't stand the the beta males that are in the church today. And I'm on board. I can't stand it either. I can't stand it either. A lot of men have abdicated their, uh, uh, their authority based on their own walk according not to the spirit but to the flesh 
And in walking according to the flesh, they abdicate. You know, it, remember in our study in Romans and 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, we make these distinctions and we learn to make the distinctions between what, how works of the Spirit and how, and the Spirit unto us, the Spirit unto you and me, how they are effectuated. It's very, very holy. How is it that they are effectuated? Well, obedience, that's a biggie. You see? But obedience to sound doctrine, the word of God. And when we see that happen, we start to see the effectuation of the moving of the spirit, the power of the spirit, the gifts of the spirit. But outside of that, it doesn't work that way. So if you're female and you hear me say, you're like, what is he talking about? I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. Well, there's a lot of things you can do, such as Chloe, Lydia, Priscilla. Don't forget, Priscilla taught a a male shepherd, Apollos. But Priscilla had her male covering of her husband. You see? She didn't have authority over Apollos, but Priscilla had her male covering of husband and them two together. They taught Apollos more about the baptism, not of John, but the baptism of the Holy Spirit. See, it's very important to understand this formula because a lot of women today, a lot of women are just fed up with the men. And hey, I'm on board. I'm on board. Like I see the higher concentration of warriors, valiant warriors in females than I do with the males. But that doesn't mean that, okay, I'm going to take life by the bootstraps and I'm going to do this and I'm going to be a pastor. No. You can teach, teach women. But to have authority over a male, it must be male. And that's what we see in Philemon. But I still see a lot of similarities to Philemon and Chloe. I'm so in love with Chloe. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Chloe. And you hear me say that. And, you know, if you've been walking with us for a while, you know that that's pretty jam-packed statement. But, you know, if you're a new listener, you know, welcome. (laughs) But listen to those prior studies and on up to where we are today because you'll understand the beauty of Chloe. But I see similarities with Philemon. So we're in our time machine. We we arrive in Colossae. Where are we going to go to church? Are we going to go to the big church in town? Are we going to go to the middle-sized church in town? Are we going to go to the town square and meet over here at this fellowship and that fellowship? And then we catch wind. Wait a second. There's a little home fellowship out in the boonies. Tiny church. Not a lot of people. Tiny church. Who's the pastor? Well, don't call you can't call him pastor because he's not a mega church. You can't call him pastor because he doesn't have, you know, a hundred people. He doesn't have fifty people. He doesn't even have twenty people. You can't call him pastor. Well, does does he lead the fellowship? Yeah. Does he meet the qualifications? Yeah. Okay. That's it. You know, when we look at the qualifications for pastor, you know Overseer, nowhere do you see numbers being mentioned. Nowhere. You don't see any, you don't see anywhere where, you know, okay, in order to meet, you have to meet this threshold of, you know, 
20 people, 15 people, 10 people. No, you don't see that. Oh, but it's not a mega church. It's a, it's a little house. It's a little house and just a guy with, you know, he just teaches and okay, that's nice. What does he teach? Is he teaching? Is he qualified? Yeah, he, okay. That's where I want to go to fellowship. He meets the qualifications. He's not on wife number five. And, you know, with for the, for the four previous wives, he's had irreconcilable differences. You see? He's not, doesn't have a, a wife who's alcoholic, you know, kids who are sexually active, doing the Buddha, the yoga, and the occult, and the Ouija boards. Doesn't have that. He meets the qualifiers. So he's pastor. Most seminaries, Bible colleges, the philosophers, the Christian philosophers, the college professors of, you know, theology school and, you know, this university and that, they don't have Philemon in the pastoral epistles. But when we teach, he's in the pastoral epistles. He meets the qualifiers. You see? Full package. And so, you know, most people think, you know, oh, I want to go to church where I'm going to make friends. I want, I want to go to church where kids can make friends and so their kids can, you know, make friends and they have all their little people and they make friends and I want them exposed to this and that. But I'll give you a good rule of thumb. Where is it? Where is it? Where am I most likely to become a friend of God? You see? Because a lot of people think carnally. Oh, I can go to this church. There's a lot of guys here and I can be accountable to these guys. And oh, there's a lot of women here and I can be accountable to these women. And oh, look, my kids are in high school and they can have their high school friends. Or my kids are in junior high and they can have their friends and this and that. And okay, that's nice. Where is it? Where is it? Where I can become a friend of God. And who is the shepherd that will help me to that end? You see? Philemon's house. That's where I want to go. Philemon's house. I don't want the mega church. I mean, if the mega church taught truth, you know, that's one thing. You see, how many people meet in Philemon's house? Who cares? Who cares? Oh, don't go to Philemon's house. There's just five people there. There's just eight people there. There's just three people there. Who cares? You see, I mean, when you see tiny, that could be a good sign. That could be a very good sign when you see tiny. Remember, who is it? That's going to help you and me be a friend of God. You see? Oh, I want to go to church. I want to make these friends. Oh, I want to meet these people. Oh, I want the kids to have these kids and this and that. And that's nice. It's also carnal. It's of the flesh. And we are not to walk according to the flesh. 
Where is it where I can become a friend of God and learn to become a friend of God? And who is the man that will shepherd me to that end? Show me Philemon. You see? Remember, we just want truth. That's it. We just want truth. We don't want social club. We just want the truth. Take me to Philemon's house. And that's Paul. He writes this letter. I mean, there's Colossians. He writes, you know, to the saints in Colossae. But there's another letter written to the shepherd of a home fellowship. And the shepherd is named Philemon. And so we start here in verse 1. Philemon chapter 1. Verse 1. There's only one chapter. Philemon chapter 1. Verse 1. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now, don't forget, this is a prison letter. This is a pri- I mean, Paul is in prison. Uh, around 62 AD. This is the same year that Colossians was written. And Timothy, our brother. Now, it's very interesting to note that 1 Timothy has not yet been written. Now, we have the luxury. We're kind of spoiled with the full counsel of the word of God. First Timothy has already been written. And understand that the Bible, it's not written in chronological order. It is not in chronological order. Now, you know, I used to not like that. When I was a younger Christian, I used to not like that. I was like, well, why isn't the Bible in chronological order? It kind of be frustrating when I was a younger Christian. But today, I love it. I love it today. Because when you're a Berean, and remember, the knowledge of the Word of God is a gift of the Spirit. Remember 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14? It's a gift of the Spirit. Not the greatest gift, but a gift. And with this gain of knowledge from the Word of God as the Spirit teaches... All of a sudden, the word of God starts to open up more and more and more and more. And with this understanding of, yes, the Bible isn't in chronological order, but when you piece it together and not to take any, not to, not that any of us can boast in putting truth together, but mysteries, the mystery of the Lord. It becomes a revealed thing. You see? It's powerful. It's beautiful. Mystery revealed to Paul. Mystery revealed to Timothy, to Titus, to Peter. You see? To John. Mystery revealed. Now, mystery revealed... It's not just, okay, mystery is revealed and, okay, that's it, you know, and then, you know, thank you, Lord, okay, you know. No. Well, I mean, there's that, but the Lord reveals His Word so that you and me can be fishers of men. You see? That's right. That's why the Lord reveals mysteries. It's not so that we can be all, you know, we're, Oh, we're so awesome in the Bible. Oh, look, we're so awesome as Bereans. No. It's so that we can be equipped, thoroughly equipped with the word of God. Thoroughly equipped. 
I mean, have you ever seen like an athlete, you know, like football, you know, soccer, you know, like Pelé. You see old school footage of Pelé play soccer. I mean, you know, people play soccer. You, you, you can see little kids play soccer. You see like, you know, school age kids play soccer. You see college soccer. You see soccer. But Pelé, <laughs> that's different. He, you see like slow motion footage of Pelé. And it's almost like he's dancing ballet on the soccer field. I was reading this, like a, a write-up about Pelé, and there's no footage of it because it's old school, you know, no cameras. And But they said he went from one end of the soccer field to the other end of the soccer field and made the goal, scored a point, and the ball never hit the ground. Now, you hear that and you're like, oh, okay, that's impossible. But then you see him play, like the old school footage, you know, like the real play. And you see it's kind of like scratchy. No HD. No HD was around in those days. And then you start to realize, well, wait a second. Maybe this isn't folklore. Maybe he really did go from, you know, one end of the field to the other end of the field. And the ball really never hit the ground. You know, bouncing the ball on his head, on his chest, on his knee. And scored the goal. See, people play soccer. People play football. But Pele, a little different. I mean, I say a little different, but a lot different. And that's what's so powerful when God reveals his mystery. It's like you and me were like Pele. Fully equipped, thoroughly equipped, but it's not so that we can be awesome. It's not for like, oh, they need room to boast and no boasting at all. It's so that we can advance the kingdom, sharing the good news, telling people, you talk to a Satanist, boom, you know what the Bible says? You can approach the Satanist. You talk with the lesbian, the homosexual, boom. You have like an angle of attack, so to speak. Remember, we're not, we, don't, we don't fight according to the, to the flesh. But there's an angle of approach, an angle of attack. Remember the, the demons, you know? Jesus, I know. Jesus, we know. Paul, we know. But who in the world are you guys? You see? I wonder who, who among us where the demons know our names. I wonder, who is it among us where the demons know our names? You know, Jesus we know, Paul we know, Titus we know, Chloe we know, Lydia we know, Priscilla we know, John we know, Philemon we know. And I wonder if our names could be added to that list. You see, when we become deadly, a threat, the good deadly, not the bad deadly, the good deadly. You see? And so we continue on here in, still in verse 1, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer. I love that. Remember, we make the distinction. 
between field and worker. So he says, fellow labor, now you know Philemon, he's in a different class. And I don't say that to have like, you know, rank or structured, more like if you're a pew Christian, if you're in the field, well, you know, you're low class. No, that's, that's carnal. But it's to understand, remember, there's equality in Christ. We are one in Christ where there's no male, female, slave, free, rich, poor, Jew, Gentile. No, we're one in Christ. Equality. But there is a framework and structure for order. Field and worker. And so we see Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer. So now you see he's a worker. To the beloved Aphia, female name, to the beloved Aphia, or Aphia, Aphia, Archippus, our fellow soldier. Now you have, you know, fellow soldier. Now you have another worker. And to the church in your house, beautiful home fellowship. We got the big church in town. We got the big church over there, the big church over there, the big church over there. That's nice. Oh, but look, we can have our friends over here. We got a big church. The big church, the, the guys can be accountable to the guys and the ladies can be accountable to the ladies. And oh, look, you got the men's fellowship, the ladies' fellowship. And look, the kids can have friends and this and that. That's nice. Where is it that we can become friends of God? Forget everybody else. Where is it that we can become friends of God? You see? Now, I say forget everybody else, but remember, love the Lord and then love people. In that order. Love the Lord and then people. A problem happens when we love people more than God. Don't do that. I mean, I say don't do that and you're like, okay, you know, what is he talking about? Well, look at the Episcopals. Look at the Lutherans. Look at the Methodists. Loving people more than God. Oh, but the Bible says love people and love God. Yes. But in very specific order. You see? In very specific order. Because when a person loves people more than God, all of a sudden, God is on the back burner. Can't do that. Don't do that. You see? Where is it that you and me can become friends of God? I want to go to Philemon's house. Oh, but it's not mega. No. You're not going to have a bunch of guys there. You're not going to have a bunch of ladies there. You're not going to have the kids there. You're not going to have the, you know, the high school, you know, the college age kids, you know, and you know. all. That's nice. Remember, we just want truth. That's it. We just want truth. Church, little home fellowship. Verse 3, grace, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says in verse 4, I thank my God making mention of you all always in my prayers. You see, now, if, if, if we had no prior study of from first corinthians on it would you know would look at verse four and i thank my god making mention of you always in my prayers which is beautiful but you know doesn't hit home it wouldn't hit home but if you've been walking with us for a while 
the journeys of Paul and Timothy together, the little tiny bubble in the book of Acts, the tribulation, the trials, the perils, the shipwreck. Remember the shipwreck in the book of Acts? And then you read the letters, you study the letters that Paul wrote to the saints. His tears. And then you read verse 4. What is Paul who says, I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers. You see? Praying for the saints. Paul. Praying for the saints, praying for the shepherd, praying for the workers. For Archippus, Athea, Philemon, the saints in the home. You see? It hits a little different. In some cases, a lot different. When you have this backdrop of understanding, whoa, this is loaded. This is loaded. You see? And these are things that are understood when you and me together, when we understand recipe and holy formula. We understand these things. Always making the distinction between field and worker. And the tears of the worker. You see? Now, if you're listening for the first time, purpose in your heart to listen to those prior studies. First Corinthians, you know, all, all the way up to Philemon. Because you will grow. You will understand. You will mature in Christ. And Lord willing, you will become deadly. You see? You and me together, we yield to the Lord. And the Spirit helps us. Remember, the Helper. He's the Helper. He helps us to that end in yielding to the Lord. Always making the distinction and testing the spirits because another spirit that is not of the Lord will attempt, attempt to pull us away from the Word of God. You see? Oh, you know, pastors say, oh, we're going to go grave soaking. We're going to lay on the graves and, and uh, of these former Christians or these Christians who died. And, you know, they were formerly alive and we're going to lay on the grave and we're going to soak up that spirit. Well, that's an abomination. The Bible says that's an abomination. So by what spirit does a pastor do that? Because the Holy Spirit will not lead you nor me into an abomination. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God, will not lead you nor me to an abomination, something that the Lord hates. So by what spirit does a pastor, a so-called shepherd, say, let's go grave soaking, necromancy, an abomination? It's not the Holy Spirit. You see? And these are things that you will understand through maturing in Christ. And that's what I mean when not just maturing, but becoming deadly. The Bible says, remember, the word became flesh. The word of God says, don't take the mark of the beast. You take the mark of the beast, you're going to burn in hell. That's what the Bible says. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what the Bible says. You take the mark of the beast, you're going to burn in hell. And yet, 
pastors, shepherds say, go ahead and take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. By what spirit is this said? Because the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of our Lord, guides in truth. Will never guide in in abomination or in disobedience. The Spirit of our Lord will never do that. He's the helper. He helps you and me stick to the word and abide in the word. And yet you have a pastor, you have not just a pastor, you have multiple pastors, so-called shepherds, who say, go ahead and take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. It's not the Holy Spirit. So by what spirit are they led by? When it's identified that it's not the Holy Spirit, you got to jump ship. You see? Why follow? Just like we studied in our prior studies and the epistles and the pastoral epistles, anybody can say, follow me as I follow Christ. Anybody can say it. Follow me as I follow Christ. But when you're a Berean and you know the truth of God's word, Anybody can say, follow me as I follow Christ, and we're going to go grave soaking. You say, nope, I'm not following that. You see, I can't follow you. You can say, follow me as I follow Christ, but you're following another Jesus. The one that the real Jesus warned us about. I'm not going to follow you. You see? Somebody says, follow me as I follow Christ. By the way, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. No, I'm not following. You see, we have a choice to make. But Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. It's safe. Timothy says, follow me as I follow Christ. It's safe. Titus, safe. Philemon, safe. Beautiful. And that's what comes through understanding this formula. This formula of righteousness, it also applies to the Old Testament. But when it applies to the Old Testament, we have to remember the framework of covenant. Old covenant, new covenant. You see? And so we see here in verse 5, he says, you know, when, when in verse 4, making mention of you always in my prayers. And in verse 5, hearing of your love and faith, which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. You see this? The report of gifts and fruit has made its way to Paul. Remember? In our study in the book of Acts, and we may mention of it a little bit, even in the pastoral epistles, how Paul would have his yo-yos. Paul would have his yo-yos where, you know, like with Titus, it's kind of sad, but, you know, no more yo-yo, no more yo-yo for in the case of Timothy because now they're pastors and Paul is dying. He's in prison, being poured out as a drink offering in those studies in Titus and Timothy. 
But 62 AD, he's in prison, yes, but there's still some time. But when Paul would have his yo-yos, and Titus was a yo-yo, Timothy was a yo-yo, how they were in the tiny bubble of Paul being trained up as the next generation of pastors, and then Paul would send them out and go and exhort and warn and, and teach and fellowship and sometimes you know they would give gifts they, they would give like monetary gifts you know they would be in one area of a region and you know they would take it no, i shouldn't say take but you know saints would give them money to support the, the ministry and to support other saints other churches and so you know they would go into other regions and you'll know, say hey this this is from the saints in in macedonia you see and they would support the church now, when we say support the church, understand formula. Understand formula. Because the church is supported by the saints. But it's very important to understand formula. It's not just any church. Not just any fellowship. Because there are hirelings out there. There are wolves out there. And they just want your money. You see? And that's what happens with maturity. You understand, well, this guy's a money preacher. This guy's a hireling. He's just in it for the cash. He's just in it for his wallet. He's just in it for his belly. You see? And so Paul would send out the yo-yos. They would spend time in a certain region and then they would come back to Paul and report and say, wow, you know, the saints, you know, they send you your, their love. They love you, Paul. And, you know, they, they, this is what's happening. And then Paul would go and pray. And it's so beautiful to see the body caring for the body, just like a human body. I mean, I'm not very tall, but like my eyes are, you know, a little distance away from my toes. You know, my ears are a little distance away from my lips, my mouth, my, you know, my hand is a distance away from my other hand. My hand is a distance away from my feet. But yet inside the heart pumps blood, the heart, which is, you know, central in the chest. It pumps blood to the toes. It pumps blood to the ears. It pumps blood to the fingertips. You see? And that's what we see in the body of Christ. The body caring for the body. And these are things that were reported back to Paul. He says in verse 5, Hearing of your love and faith with which you have which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. You see? One body. He says in verse 6, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you, in Christ Jesus. Verse 6 is loaded. Loaded. So you see that these gifts and the fruits has made its way to Paul, the, the, the report. Paul has heard of it. But in verse 6, he says that the sharing of your faith. Now, this is not evangelism. It's not sharing faith like evangelism. The word is koinonia. 
the sharing of your faith. The word is koinonia in the Greek. You know what that is? It translates as social intercourse in fellowship. Now, if your mind, when I say the word intercourse, if your mind is going off into crazy town, that's not good. Remember, as believers in Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, we are to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Do not be disobedient in your mind. Do not be disobedient in your thoughts. Okay, so what are we to think on? Well, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Whatever things are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy, these are the things which saints meditate on. The good things. The virtuous things. The beautiful things. Holy things. Social intercourse. Koinonia. It's intercourse in fellowship. It's social. It's very, very, very rare. You see, the word church... It's not just a blanket statement. There's depth to the word church. Look for ecclesia. I mean, in that example, you know, you and me, we go in our time machine, we go to Colossae. Where are we going to go to church? We got a mega church over here. We got a bigger church over here. We got a little church over here. We got a big church. We got a medium-sized church over here. Where do we go? Who are the pastors? Well, there's this guy, there's this guy, there's this guy. Is that it? Well, no, I left this other guy off the list. You know, you, there's, there's a guy, his name is Philemon. They got a little church. It's just a home fellowship out in the boonies. You don't want to go there. Just a tiny church. Well, does he meet the qualifications? Is he qualified? Yeah, but it's a little tiny church. I don't care. That's where I want a fellowship. Remember, we just want truth. We just want truth. And you look for Ecclesia. Now, Ecclesia, a body of those who are called. It's it's not a blanket statement. We're like, you know, okay, church is church and church over here, church over there. Got a group of people. Okay, that's nice. There's depth to the word ecclesia. It's a body of those who are called. Well, who is called? You look at the fruit. And it's a con- congregation of those people. Now, within that framework, look for koinonia, which, I mean, when you look, when you see the word church, I mean, that's kind of like the larger, the larger, larger context. I mean, see, see church, think of like, you know, a thousand people, church. Okay. Now you boil it down. Ecclesia. Now you might have, okay, instead of a thousand, now we have like 50. A body of the called. And then you say, okay, let's boil it down further. Koinonia. Okay. Now you might have five. And that's what we look for, koinonia. That's what we strive for. That is what is desired in the church. 
That's what, remember the seven churches in Revelation 2 and uh, Revelation 2 and 3. Seven churches. Seven churches. Koinonia was found in two. You see? Koinonia was found in two. Philadelphia and Smyrna. The rest, the majority, Jesus says, repent. And one of them, Jesus wasn't there. Jesus was on the outside. You see, Laodicea. Shepherds, qualified shepherds. They strive and they fight for koinonia. It's a social intercourse. It's holy. It's. I'll tell you a good rule of thumb. It's very rare in these last days, koinonia, but I'll tell you a good rule of thumb. When love, when love in koinonia exceeds that of biological family, that's a good sign. When fellowship feels more like home, that's a good sign. You see? But don't forget Satan. He knows all about this formula as well. And he fights to prevent koinonia. Because where koinonia is, that's a powerful church. I mean, okay, so you have church. Remember the example. So you have the word church. So population, a thousand. The word church, population, a thousand. The word ecclesia, population, no more thousand. Population, a hundred. Now the word koinonia, no longer a hundred. Population, five. But within koinonia, that's where you see the fruit of the Spirit unlike any other place. And that's where you see the gifts of the Spirit as the Spirit gives. I mean, you have prophets, prophetesses, just like, you know, Philip's daughters. Tongues, interpretation of tongues, always order in a fellowship, always order in the fellowship. But Satan knows that within the framework of Koinonia, that that church is a threat to him. You see? And he attacks. And he's very effective. You see? You know, today people say, oh, you know, the, 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 the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, he doesn't do those things anymore. He doesn't do those things. That was for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. Where in the Bible, you will not find an expiration date on the gifts and the moving and the power of the Holy Spirit. You will not find that in the Bible. So why do people say that? Why do pastors, why do seminaries, why do, why do professors even teach that and say that? Because they give a carnal response and say, well, we don't see it today. We don't see it today. Therefore, it was for 2,000 years ago. That's a wrong answer. I'll tell you the reason why we don't see it today. Widespread today. The reason is because of the saints. Bad formula, in some cases, wrong formula. Well, I mean, bad formula is wrong formula. 
It's a bad formula. You see? You have churches, you know, population a thousand. You have ecclesia, population a hundred. But then you have koinonia, population five. Within koinonia, that's where you see the power and the moving and the gifts of the spirit. At off the charts, off the charts, because the Lord knows. You see, off the charts. Where can Koinonia be found today? You see, when you read the book of Acts, and you study the book of Acts, in the early chapters, thousands came to Christ. Thousands believed, came to Christ, and received the Spirit. Multitudes. But then you start reading further in the book of Acts. You get in the middle, you get towards the end. And you don't see thousands anymore. You get to the epistles and you don't see thousands anymore. You see thousands in like in the early chapters of the book of Acts. But towards the middle, towards the end, you don't see the thousands anymore. You know why? Because Satan goes on offense. Satan muddies the waters. Satan doesn't want koinonia. He knows that koinonia is a threat to him because a church that has gifts of the Spirit, a church that has gifts of the Spirit where the Word of God goes forth and is taught and God's house is kept clean. He knows that the Spirit is going to give somebody with tongues, with prophecy, with interpretation, where somebody can say, like straight up speaking in, you know, in tongues, you know, thus saith the Lord, you know, will say something. And then the in, in interpretation, a gift of the Spirit will say, you know, straight up, thus saith the Lord. Like this is what the Lord is saying in real time. This is what the Lord desires in real time. In real time. You see, Satan knows, like, you remember Agabus in the book of Acts, how the, the famine was coming and, you know, Agabus came to town and says, listen, there's a famine coming. He, he had, he was a prophet, the gift of prophecy, you know, hey, there's a famine coming. And so what did the church do? They prepared for that famine. So the famine came and the church was okay. The body caring for the body. You see? Where are the prophets today? Where are the prophetesses of today? And I'm talking about the biblical ones. I'm not talking about the one who says that they're a prophet or the prophetess who says she's a prophet. I'm not talking about those guys. I'm talking about the real deal. Very, very rare. But where you find them, they're not found in the megachurch. They're found in the tiny church. They're found in the tiny church. I mean, I told you, if in, in our prior studies, I made mention of a time a friend of mine had a very bad shoulder, very, very bad shoulder. Medical professionals couldn't heal it. Well, outside of like surgery. And, you know, 
they couldn't heal it. I mean, a major procedure would have to happen. And so we were at this church and I wasn't even a believer at the time. I was just like, if I was a believer, baby, you know, sometimes people can say like on June 1st, 1972, I became a Christian. I don't have that. I can't say, you know, on June 1st, 1982, I became a Christian. I don't have a specific day. For me, it was more of a process. I, I, that's just me. I, it was more of a process where it, maybe I should have wrote stuff down. Maybe I should have like, penned it down like on this day, but I didn't do that. Maybe that should have happened, but I can't pinpoint a day where like, boom, this is the day that I believed. It was more of a process. So when this happened, I was like, like super, super baby Christian, super, super baby Christian. And so we're with this group of Christians. And my friend was kind of like grimacing and rubbing his shoulder. And one of the guys says, hey, what's wrong? And he says, well, you know, I have a bum shoulder. And then he said, okay, let's pray. And I was just like, okay, you know, like, whatever, you know, this guy wants to pray, you know. But before we prayed, he called along some other guys. And it was the elders, so they, the elders, and they laid hands on my friend and said, okay, let's pray. And so we all bowed our heads. I closed my eyes. And as they were praying, I could hear like popping. And it wasn't a massage job where, you know, they were like, okay, let's pray. Let's lay hands on you. And they're like rubbing his shoulder and like, a, you know, like, you know, like a, like a manipulation of bones. No, they just laid hands on him. No gripping. It wasn't like, you know, I'm going to grab your flesh and this. No, they just laid hands on him. But these guys, they were, these men, they were praying. And you could hear the bones pop. You could hear like the, you could hear stuff. You could, you could hear it audibly. And then, you know, they said, amen. And we all said, amen. And my friend was like shocked, like, the medical professionals, they couldn't do it. They had to do like a big surgery. If they were going to do it, they had to do a big surgery. And he was healed. You see? He was healed. That wasn't found in the mega church. It was tiny church. You hear and read of reports of what's happening in tiny churches around the world and you see such a mighty moving of the Holy Spirit, healings, miracles, prophecies. Thus said the Lord in real time. It's not happening in the mega church. It's happening in tiny churches. It's happening in home fellowships. And you see the book of Acts and you read the book of Acts and you see thousands came to Christ. Thousands believed and the spirit of the Lord was moving mightily in the early parts of the book of Acts. But then you get towards the middle, you get towards the end. And you don't see that movement anymore. You don't see that moving anymore. 
You see the moving, but with certain individuals, with certain fellowships, smaller fellowships. Why is that? Because Satan reacted to the moving of the Lord and Satan went on offense. I mean, on the timeline, I mean, and you, you look at, you know, Peter, when, you know, when, when Jesus said, you know, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Finally, you know, Peter responded like, Lord, you know. All those apostles, they were killed. They were killed. At the very beginning of their ministries, not killed. But in the course of time, they were killed. You know why? Because Satan reacted and he went on offense. Paul killed. Satan went on offense. But prior to the death of these beautiful vessels of the Lord, prior to their death, you also see a tempo, so to speak, where the early chapters of the book of Acts, thousands came to Christ. But then you start to see that diminish. And it's not to say that the spirit of the Lord is incapable. No way. That's, that's not even a factor. But it is to understand what is it that effectuates the gifts and the power. What is it? And now you understand. Now you understand why Satan has his servants that present themselves as ministers of righteousness. He has his defunct. He has his hirelings. He has the money preachers. He has his wolves. They present themselves as ministers of righteousness. But you will not find koinonia. You see? And so people today, oh, that was for 2,000 years ago. That's not for today. Well, where is it in the Bible that says it's not for today? Well, we just look at the evidence. We look at the evidence because we don't. We read the book of Acts and we don't see that today. Therefore, it's not for today. See? They concoct these ideas. They, they concoct these ideas and establish these theologies. And it's like, okay, let's take your idea. Let's take your theology and measure it with the truth of God's holy word. And these theories, these so-called theologies, which I call theories, these ideas have been placed in the balance of God's word, the truth of God's word, and have been found wanting. Put simply, they don't cut the butter. You see? And yet they formulate these ideas. Oh, that was for 2,000 years ago. Rubbish. Rubbish. You see, when Paul says here in verse 6 that the sharing of your faith, remember, we're not talking evangelism. The sharing of your faith 
which is very rare, is koinonia. This home fellowship, they had it. Koinonia, they had it. Social intercourse. It's not, you know, sexual. It's not, you know, things carnal. It is a social intercourse in fellowship of the saints, which is not of this world. Very, very rare. And this home fellowship, Philemon is the shepherd, the Philemon is the pastor, Philemon is the teacher. Qualified. And this koinonia, Paul says that it may be become effective in verse 6, may become active and powerful, effectuated. Well, how does that happen? By the acknowledgement or the recognition and discernment of every good thing which is in you. Now, which is in you, it's not a humanism. It's not like, okay, the good in you, the good in you. Oh, what is your truth? No, which is in you, in Christ Jesus. You see? The real Jesus, whose word is above his name. Not the fake one that says, hey, let's go grave soaking. Not the fake one that says, hey, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. The real Jesus whose word is above his name. You see? The acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Do you remember how, you know, several times in the past we made mention of like a journal or maybe like a highlight or an underline or a specific color of a highlighter when you're reading your Bible and it just cuts you to the heart. A specific theme, a specific verse, a specific subject matter where it just like, it's like a knife in your heart. You know, write it down, underline it, maybe a certain color, but keep note of it. You might have like the, 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 the journal of carnality. And like every time you read the Bible and it's like, ooh, that hurts or ooh, you know, ouch, ouch, here you turn the page. It's like, ouch, ouch, you know, have this journal of like the, the, the journal of the flesh, the journal of carnality. And you might write a note of like every verse. Okay, this verse and and you keep studying the word of God, obeying the word of God, yielding to the spirit, yielding to the word. And you go back to that journal. And in the course of time, those verses of pain, those verses of, you know, the ouch, they're not going to be there anymore. And you're going to rejoice. Because, wow, you know, this alcohol used to be a problem. And these verses about, you know, not have, not being given to wine. It's like, wow, it doesn't hurt anymore. Before it was like a conviction. And now I don't have that anymore. These verses about the sex and the drugs and the idolatry and, you know, all these things. It's like, wow, it doesn't hurt anymore. Where before it hurt, but now it doesn't hurt anymore. You know what that is? Restoration, my beautiful friend. That's the handiwork of our Lord. You see? And you can rejoice in the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you. Not humanism. In you, in Christ Jesus. You see? Now there's a clash of 
dogmas. There's a clash of sects. Because Calvinist and Reformed theory says, well, it's automatic. It's automatic. It's the work of the Spirit. And, you know, God is sovereign and we don't know what He's doing. And, you know, where where is the acknowledgement and discernment? Where is the acknowledgement? Oh, it's all the Spirit. It's all the work of the Spirit. It's all the work of the Spirit. Where, If it's all the work of the Spirit, then where is the acknowledgement? Where is the discernment? You see, koinonia. Koinonia becomes impossible. And if koinonia is impossible, where are the gifts? And if the gifts aren't evident, how is that explained? Well, a theology would say, Well, that was for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. That's what a theology says or a theory says. But that's all it is. It's a theory. Placed in the balance of the truth of Holy Scripture, it is found wanting. You see? I mean, if you go to church... And it feels more like a college course. It feels like you're sitting in a college course and, you know, the professor is teaching and it feels more like a college course. That's not a good sign. When you go to church, you might be learning. Oh, look, I'm going to take my notes. I'm going to write this down. And oh, yes, this, you know, this and that. And the professor, oh, no, no, the, the, the pastor, he says this, he says this. And look, he's got his doctorate in theology. He went to seminary and this and that. Oh, I'm taking my notes. I'm taking my notes and this, this. And you're, and you're there and it's like, wow, this, this feels like college. It feels like I'm in university. It feels like a college course. You see? A lot of head knowledge. A lot of intellect and logic according to the flesh. Oh, it's automatic, the professor says. Oh, no, the pastor says. Oh, it's automatic. It's a work of the Spirit. The Spirit does it. The Spirit does it. The Spirit does it. The Spirit does it. You don't do anything. The Spirit does it. Okay. Well, if that's the case, then verse 6 becomes impossible. Because... This koinonia becomes effectuated by the discernment and recognition of every good thing which is in you, in Christ Jesus. You see? And when koinonia isn't effectuated, that's when church feels more like a college course. Because you won't find the gifts of the Spirit. You won't find koinonia. You'll find an explanation. You'll find an explanation of why the spirit isn't there, which is, I mean, <laughs> that's, that should be a, a, a big warning sign, a big, a big flag, like a, you know, warning, warning, warning. 
Don't go here. Don't. When a pastor starts to explain, when a so-called pastor tries to explain why the spirit isn't there, that should be a big warning flag. Because by his own admission, the spirit isn't there. You see? No koinonia. You see? Biblical koinonia. And if there's no koinonia, there's no ecclesia. If there's no ecclesia, there's no episunagage. If there's no episunagage, there's no power. If there's no power, there's no gifts. If there's no gifts, there's no oil. And if there's no oil, hello, lake of fire. You see? And what is the explanation? What is their explanation? Oh, that was for 2,000 years ago. You see? There's no more prophets today. There's no more prophets today. There's no more tongues today. That was for 2,000 years ago. There's no more interpretation of tongues. That was for 2,000 years ago. You see? Highly, highly, highly intellectual. But also, highly, highly foolish and highly, highly dead. Don't go. Don't go. I know people today who have the gift of prophecy, who have the gift of tongues, who have the gift of interpretation, the gift of knowledge. And when these people speak, I listen to everything they have to say. You see? Not the prophets you see on TV, the self-proclaimed prophet. Not those guys, not those gals, the prophetess. No, the real deal. Just like Agabus. Oh, there's a famine coming and the church was prepared. You see? Look at all these beautiful things that we see in the truth. Now, Remember, Philemon, just one chapter, one chapter, but it's loaded. Because in reading these verses, there's a depth of the knowledge base, the, the base plate. Just like when you read, like, you know, remember how we, when we were in the Torah, uh, uh, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and how we would make mention of like, now that we have this base plate of the law, it's going to help you for these future chapters in the Old Testament and even the New Testament. Well, the same thing applies to this base plate of what we have in First Corinthians, well, in the book of Acts too, but in First Corinthians on up till now and then the holy formula and, you know, the biblically qualified teachers and shepherds and elders, the overseers. Now that we have this understanding... There's this base plate of understanding that, okay, the beauty of Philemon. And not just Philemon, but how everything fits. I meant what we're going to read in 
First John, what we're going to read in, in Peter, what we're going to read in Revelation, what, what we read in Isaiah, what we read in Job, what we read in Genesis, it all fits perfectly. The square in the square, triangle in the triangle, circle in the circle, trapezoid in the trapezoid, and octagon in the octagon, and circle in the circle. I think I already said that, but whatever shapes there are, it all fits perfectly. Perfectly. You see? There's not a dogma that's established where it's like, okay, well, the dogma teaches this, but I don't see how that's scripturally possible. And this person explains it this way. And the person says, okay, the spirit of the Lord, that was for 2000 years ago. So, okay, let me put the Bible to the side and I'm going to go with what this guy says. No, no, never put the Bible to the side. You see? We stand firmly on the rock of salvation, which is Jesus Christ, and the Word became flesh. But with this depth of understanding, now we understand, okay, this guy, biblically disqualified. This guy, biblically disqualified. This guy, biblically disqualified. Philemon, qualified. Titus, qualified. Timothy, qualified. It is safe to submit to such men. You see? We must make these distinctions. Not to suggest that at any time it was okay not to. It's never okay to not make these distinctions. We always have to make these distinctions, but even more so in these last days. Because now we're entering life and death territory. I mean, we've always been in life and death territory, but now it's more palpable, it's more devastating and consequential in terms of eternity. Because now you have shepherds, so-called shepherds, who say, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You see? Which is... That's like an obvious affront to truth. The Bible says, don't take the mark of the beast. This guy says, take the mark of the beast. That's easy. But you open up the hood of a dogma. And then you realize, well, wait a second. This isn't right. This isn't right. That's not right. This wiring, it's not right. This isn't right. This isn't right. This isn't right. You see, and that's what the truth of God's holy word. Remember, we got the mega church in Colossae. We just want truth. We're going to tiny church. I want to submit to Philemon. I want to submit to Philemon. You see? And so this letter that Paul wrote to Philemon and the saints in the home fellowship, remember verse 2, and the church in your house, home fellowship, when we understand this framework, now we see in verse 7, for we have great joy and consolation in your love. You see the unity of the saints. It's borderless. Borderless. Because Paul's not there. Timothy's not there. But yet you see unity of the saints. 
It's borderless according to the flesh, but according to the spirit, there is a border. And the border is the word of God. The truth of God's holy word. And Paul making mention of his joy and consolation in the love of the saints in this home fellowship led by Pastor Philemon. Oh, don't call them pastor. There's just five people there. Don't call them pastor. There's just three people there. Don't call them pastor. There's just 10 people there. He doesn't have 50 like the mega church. He doesn't have a thousand like the mega church. He doesn't have. No. When we study the pastoral epistles, you never see the mention of numbers. Never. You know why? It's irrelevant. And so we continue. In verse 7, For we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother, have been refreshed and given rest is how that translates, to be refreshed and given rest by you, brother. This Philemon, he's a good teacher, a faithful shepherd. Remember, we make these distinctions between field and worker, but then also with the saints and remnant and leaven. Understanding formula, the framework of this formula and recipe for righteousness and of righteousness. And so in verse 8, Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting. Now, it's, you know, Paul, you know, Paul is taking a different approach here. I shouldn't say a different approach because it's commonly found in Paul. Well, you know, it would be easy for, you know, Paul is saying it'd be easy for me to command you what to do. But he's saying, let's take the training wheels off. Let's take the training wheels off. Remember, in verse 4, this home fellowship has the covering of prayer. The covering of prayer. Yes, I could command you what to do, Philemon. But let's take the training wheels off. He says in verse 9, Yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you. And this is something commonly found, not just in Paul, but in faithful shepherds who go out of their way, in some cases way out of their way, not to lord over anybody's walk in the Lord. Remember, hearts can never, ever, ever be manipulated. People attempt to manipulate, but biblically, that can never happen. Well, I say biblically, but biblically in a good sense. Biblically in terms of obedience to the Lord. Hearts can never be manipulated. You do see people, manipulators in the Bible, and then you see, remember, the Lord is reactionary. You see how he responds. You see manipulators today. But among faithful shepherds, and just like with Paul, you don't see manipulation. They go out of their way to not lord over anybody's faith, anybody's walk. And Paul says, yet for love's sake, you know, in verse 8, I could command you, I could tell you exactly what to do, but no. Let's take the training wheels off. I appeal to you for love's sake, he says. Being such a one as Paul the aged. Is he boasting? No, he's not boasting at all. He's 
acknowledging, yes, he's an old man, but at the same time, being such a one as Paul, well, I'm not Alexander. Remember Alexander and Jimenez? I'm not Alexander. I'm not Jimenez. I'm not defunct being such a one as Paul. Paul is acknowledging and not that he needs to acknowledge, but maybe just a little reminder that Paul is not like the average bear, a different caliber, a different pedigree. Remember in the Corinthian letters when he would say, you know, ABC, one, two, three, X, Y, Z. And I think I have the spirit. Remember when he would say that? You have 10,000 teachers, but one father. Spiritual father, speaking of himself. You have 10,000 teachers, but one spiritual father. And Paul would say, I speak as a fool. He doesn't like to boast. He doesn't want to boast and he doesn't boast. But he says, in this, I'm going to do a little boasting. And I speak as a fool. Because he had to jolt the saints in Corinth who were being led astray by the defunct and had the influencers of the defunct. You have 10,000 teachers but one spiritual father. And he's kind of doing the same thing here. I could command you what to do, but I'm not going to do that. For love's sake, I rather appeal to you. Being such a one as Paul the aged, I'm not defunct. I'm not Alexander. I'm not Jimenez. I'm not the grave soaker. I'm not the mark of the beast guy. I'm different. A different caliber. Not like the average bear. And that's what Paul is saying. And now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Remember, this is a prison letter. And I love it. Because yes, he's in prison, but he's already imprisoned. Chained to Jesus Christ, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. So what is it that Paul is appealing for? What is his appeal? And he says in verse 10, I appeal to you for my son on the Simus. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Drop the bomb, Paul. What? Onesimus, Onesimus, people say Onesimus, Onesimus. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, which is like dropping a bomb. Who is Onesimus? Well, a lot of people say he was Philemon's former servant who was a thief, and they derive that from verse 16 and verse 19. Some teach... Onesimus was never a Christian to begin with. And as a little side note, that's commonly held by the Calvinists and Reformed. But those doctrines can't tread here. There's a very, very specific formula to righteousness, and it's found in the Word of God. Now, let's camp out here a little bit. When you think about our prior studies, if you've been walking with us for a while and you recollect and remember the prior studies all the way to 1 Corinthians to now, 
And you understand formula. Not, not, there's a formula for pastors, but just formula in righteousness. The formula of the field and the formula of the worker. It's not a strange thing for Paul to take a backseat approach. Oh, Paul's a do-nothing pastor. He doesn't do this. He's not very hands-on. He's a do-nothing pastor. No, he does take a backseat approach because he doesn't want to lord over anybody's walk with the Lord. Turn with me really quick to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, and Paul says to the saints in Corinth, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, you read that. And Paul, on purpose, came with milk. On purpose, he came with milk. Now, there's a depth of knowledge in Paul, which is a gift of the Spirit. And Paul didn't enter town with like, okay, you know, like I'm an encyclopedia of biblical knowledge and we're just, I'm just going to dump it all on you. No. He came with milk. Jesus Christ and him crucified. You say, well, wait a second. That could have prevented. If he had gave more information, if he had gave, given more truth that could have prevented the leaven that could have prevented chapter 5 the separation from the, the, the remnant from the leaven it could have prevented that well now we understand Paul's approach when he Determine when he says, I, in verse 1, I didn't come to you with excellence of speech or with wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined in verse 2 not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. But... In demonstration of the Spirit and of power. You see, Paul, on purpose, took a backseat approach. Why? To demonstrate of the Spirit and of power and in power. Just like we study in the Old Testament, balls in your court. You see? So that the people could respond. Balls in your court. The backseat approach of Paul is not unlike the same approach that the Lord takes. Where he makes truth known. Okay. Balls in your court. Old Testament, New Testament. Okay. Balls in your court. Time to respond. 
Paul on purpose came with milk. Because milk was adequate for babies. You say, well, that is just a failure then because look what happened to Corinth. The majority, they, they, they were walking according to the flesh. The sex, the alcohol, the extortion. It was a failure. No, it wasn't. Not with Chloe. Not with those in Chloe's household. Not with the remnant. You see? And this backseat approach to demonstrate the spirit and the power of the Lord. In verse 5, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You see, if you go to church and it feels more like a college course, That's a huge red flag. Huge red flag. But it's the intellectual. It's the intellectual. I know. That's precisely the point. It's the wisdom of men. You see? And they give carnal explanations of why there is no power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, that was for 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, the Spirit did this, the Spirit did that. 2,000 years ago, it's not for today. Well, why do you say that, Pastor? Why do you say it's not for today? Well, because we don't see it today. So they blame God for the reason why it's not seen. They blame God when really they should blame themselves. They blame God for the Bible has no expiration date on the power and the moving and the gifts of the Spirit. You will not find it. And the pastor says, so-called pastor, oh, that was for, that, that's for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. No more prophets. No more tongues. No more interpretation of tongues. No more healing. Well, why do you say that, pastor? Well, because we don't see it today. Do you see what they're revealing? And it's largely in the Calvinist and Reformed churches that feel more like a college course. They're revealing to you that number one, there's no spirit. Number two, they're blaming the Lord when instead they should be blaming themselves. You see? It's the fellowship of the intellectual, the fellowship of the logical, the fellowship of the wisdom of men. In verse 5, the wisdom of men. And Paul says that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. What does that say of the Calvinist fellowship? What does that say of the Reformed fellowship? And remember, it just so happens last week, we looked at also the Reformed and Calvinists who say, oh, it's impossible to know. You know, God is sovereign and it's impossible to know what he's doing. It's a, but the Bible says, the Bible says 
that God, the sovereign God, specifically says, when you look at the translations of the Hebrew, specifically says, the sovereign Lord does nothing without first revealing to his servants. You see, that's what the Bible says. So these so-called teachers, these so-called pastors, by their own admission, look at what they are revealing. They're revealing that they do not serve the sovereign Lord. They're revealing that they do not have the Spirit. They're revealing that they do not have the power of God. And when you're in those fellowships, it feels more like a college course. You can take your notes. Just the same way you do in the college course. It feels more like academia. You will not find the Spirit. You will not find the power. You will not find the oil. And you definitely won't find koinonia. You see? And Paul says, however, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. You see? The wisdom of this age, that's nice. The rulers of this age, that's nice. They're going to be nothing. On purpose, Paul came with milk to demonstrate the spirit and the power. You say, well, it's an abject failure because look what happened in Corinth. Yes, look what happened in Corinth. But the ball was in their court. Look what happened with Chloe. Look what happened with the remnant. You see? Yes, there was works of the flesh. Yes, absolutely there were there was works of the flesh. But where was where were the pastors? Where were the teachers? Where were the shepherds? You see? Ball was in their court too. They had opportunity to respond, and you know, ball was in their court. Chloe, she chose not just wisely, valiantly. And not just Chloe, the remnant, when the separation happened. You see, let's go back to Philemon. And so in Philemon, when we, when we see here in, uh, you know, in, 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 in verse 10, when Paul is, you know, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus. Now, understand that Paul's backseat approach, just like he has with the Corinthian saints, the same that he's taken with Philemon, where he says, look, it, I, I could give you the command. I could command you exactly what to do. But no, I don't want to do that. We're taking the training wheels off. He says, for love's sake, I rather appeal to you. You see, Paul teaches and he makes his desires known. But there's something very key about that. When he makes his desires known and you know the formula for righteousness, 
as found in the word of God, you know that Paul's desires align with that of the Lord. You see, and you look at the what he teaches, what he writes, what he proclaims, the works of his hands, the steps of his feet, you know, okay, that's a qualified vessel, a qualified servant. When Paul says a bondservant, you know, it's not just lip service. That's a straight up bondservant. You see? When you know the framework of only the clean can clean, when Paul shares his desires, you know that Okay, that is good for me to do that. But there's also another perspective here. Remember Titus in the book of Titus when, you know, uh, uh, one who causes division, you know, it's like, okay, warning one, warning two, and there is no warning three. It's okay. No more. This fellowship is not for you. Remember we looked at that. Shepherds and the role and duty of the shepherd. Feed the sheep, yes. Protect the sheep, yes. Warn the sheep, yes. But it's not warning upon warning upon warning upon warning upon warning upon warning. Sometimes pastors get tired. You see, pastors, they're taking their antidepressants because they're depressed. Pastors taking, you know, all these, you know, pastors going to like, you know, therapists becoming going to the psychiatrist, getting, you know, diagnosed. Okay, you know, pastor, you're bipolar because I mean, you're going crazy. It's happening. So how is this explained? Why do we see this happening inside the church? The world is the world. Corinth is Corinth. We're talking inside the church. Why in the world is this happening? Well, because pastors, they're reaching the point of exhaustion because they're not following formula. Warning one, warning two. There is no warning three. I meant warning one, you know, before the warning, balls in your court. Warning one, balls in your court. Warning two, balls in your court. Warning three, balls in my court. You see? Reactionary. Responding and reacting according to the holy formula. Now, When somebody leaves a fellowship or is told this fellowship is not for you, understand that leaven, there's many sorrows of leaven for the shepherd, for the remnant, and also for the leaven. I mean, When a pastor says to somebody, you know, this fellowship isn't for you, that's not easy. That's not easy at all. It's not just like, you know, hey, we're robots and, you know, the the, the pastor says, okay, you know, warning one, okay, warning two, okay, you know, boom, you're out. That's, pastors aren't robots. Pastors have feelings. Pastors have emotions. Pastors have desires. 
for a person to grow in Christ. But growth in Christ, it can't be forced. A pastor cannot manipulate somebody to paradise. Ball's in their court. Remember Paul? He came with milk. Just Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's it. Now he was a well of information, a well of knowledge. And he came with just milk. To show the power and the spirit. And from there, balls in your court, Corinthian saints. You say, well, look at the leaven. Look at the leaven. Look at the sex. Look at the extortion. Look at the alcohol. Look at all these things. Okay, yeah, I get it. But look at the remnant. Look at Chloe. Look at those in Chloe's household. You see? But when a shepherd says to somebody after the warnings, after the warnings, and says, listen, this fellowship, it's not for you. That's painful. It's not easy. Definitely not easy. It's painful for the shepherd. It's painful for the remnant because... This is our church family. It's painful for the remnant. But then the leaven? Even with the leaven, balls in their court. It might be painful for the leaven. It might not be painful for the leaven. But there's always, always, always hope. Always. Remember, in verse 7, Paul makes mention in Philemon chapter 1, verse 7, that the objective, we want rest and refreshing for the saints. Well, when a person is told, listen, this fellowship is not for you. There's not refreshing for the saints. In some sense, there can be refreshing for the saints. Because it's like, okay, what if a guy was a sex head? What if a guy was a druggie? What if a lady was a druggie? What if the lady was... It's not to say that druggies cannot be inside the camp. It's to say, put away the drugs, come in the camp, put away the drugs. Warning one, warning two, there is no warning three. No drugs. No meth, no crack. The sex head, you know, no sex, no, you, because these are sheep inside the camp. It's sheep. Lamb, sheep. Not walking according to the flesh. Now we are in the, the, the flesh, but we're not of the flesh. We're in these earth suits, but we have to learn what is the conduct that is becoming of the Lord for you and for me. Now it's like, okay, well, you can't mandate godly conduct. Absolutely. Godly conduct cannot be mandated. Look at the separation of Corinth. Yes, painful. But look at the remnant. They made their choice. The leaven made their choice. The remnant made their choice. You see? 
Chloe made her choice. Those in Chloe's household made their choice. We make these distinctions. So what happens with the leaven? I mean, I like using good examples, but I'm going to use another example, you and me. Say we're asked to leave a church. The qualified shepherd. A group of people says, listen, you know, we gave you warning one, we gave you warning two, and, you know, we have to protect the flock. We have to protect the flock of God so this fellowship is not for you. And say we're in that group of people. And say there's 10 of us. And we're asked, hey, don't come here anymore. Now, in that group of 10, and we're some of them, we're, you know, we're two people, you and me, and we're in that group of 10 that was asked to leave the fellowship. And within this group of 10, there's the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the extortion, and all kinds of works in the flesh. And we have, we've, we've had ample warning. This doesn't come as a surprise to us because it's like, you know, the, the, the pastor approached us and, you know, uh, he, number one, he's been teaching us. Number two, he's warned us. Number three, he's warned us again. Or and number four, well, there's no additional warning beyond that. So you and me, we're in this group of leaven. Ten people. And say eight people. They say good riddance. Good riddance. I'm going to go to this other church. This guy is going to tickle my ears and we're going to feel good. And you know what? I can still do my crack. I can still do my sex. I can still do my extortion. I can still do this and the alcohol and whatever it is. And this guy, I'm going to go to that church because I'm going to feel good about myself. And then there's you and me. We're kind of like we're in the mix and. We just figure, okay, we'll, we'll join these guys. We'll go to this church. And... But then something's, something's brewing in our hearts. This isn't home. We were asked to leave this fellow, but this, this other, the, yeah. The... There's a lot of people here. Look, there's thousands and thousands of people here and Look, you got the guys can be with the guys, the ladies can be with the ladies, the kids can be with the kids. And look, we have all these friends and we can have all this, this good food. We can have all this good food because in the mix we got, you know, Italian chefs, we got Chinese chefs, we got, you know, the Mexican chefs. And we're going to have like killer food and the fellowship is going to be so awesome. But it's the fellowship of leaven. And the eight, they're having a good old time, you know, fellowship here. Oh, this guy, this, this other church, he's crazy. Look, you know, look what I bring to the table. And he asked me to leave and let's, you know, put aside the sex and the drugs and the crack and the extortion and all this stuff. But this other guy, he's crazy. He's lost his mind. He's such a legalist and there's this and that and oh yeah, don't, don't go there. And then there's you and me. And we start to realize, wait a second, I know there's a lot of people here. 
I know we got the good food. I know we got the Mexican food. We got the Chinese food. We got the Italian food. We got It's really good food for my belly. I like the taste. But spiritually, we miss the food, the spiritual food. And everybody's happy, except you and me. I lean over and say, hey, does this, this doesn't feel right, does it? You lean in on me? No, it doesn't feel right. Maybe that pastor was right. Maybe we shouldn't have done the crack, you know? Maybe we shouldn't have done the sex and the Buddha and the the Mary and, you know, the, the crack and the, the meth and, you know, the Ouija boards. And maybe we shouldn't have done those things. And all of a sudden, it's like we're so... There's that sorrow. Remember when Paul would write to the saints... And it's a painful point. I'm glad you were sorry. I'm glad you were full of sorrow. But I'm also not glad that you were full of sorrow. Because it's painful painful for Paul as shepherd. And for Paul to say, I'm glad that you were made sorry. I'm glad that you feel like dirt. I'm glad that you're full of sorrow. And so here we are, you and me, we're in this fellowship. And we feel like dirt. Everybody's having a grand old time. They eat and they get the Chinese food and the Mexican food and the Italian food. And everything's great. Their bellies are nice and full and... And they're persistent in their ways of the flesh. The sex, it's still happening. The drugs, the Buddha, the Ouija boards, the occult, still happening. And they got a pastor at the megachurch who will just whisper sweet nothings in their ear. Tickling their ears, telling them what they want to hear. And you and me, we feel dirty. We don't feel the... We just, it just doesn't feel right. And you and me, we come to the conclusion that, hey, the pastor was right. We got to repent. We got to get right with the Lord. You see? And when Paul says, I'm glad that you feel like dirt. It's specifically for this reason. He doesn't say, I'm glad that you feel like dirt because you're a dirt bag and you know, you're gonna, you're predestined to hell. No, he doesn't say that. He says, I'm glad that you feel like dirt because what it produces, it leads you to repentance, which leads you back to where you need to be, which is with Christ. You see? And you and me, we repent. 
And we're at the church. We're at the mega church. We got the killer Chinese food. We got the killer Mexican food. We got the killer Italian food. It's really good to our taste buds, but it's bitter in our bellies. Because we don't have koinonia. We go back to the old pastor. We go back to the the aged one. Hey, pastor. We're sorry. We've repented before the Lord. We realized the error of our ways. And yes, we felt like dirt. And it led us to repentance. Can we come back? Because I know it's little, I know it's tiny, but you know what? It's home. You see? And when Paul says, I'm glad, I'm happy, but I'm not happy. I'm glad, but I'm not glad. I'm not glad because I know it makes you feel like dirt. But I'm glad because when you feel like dirt, it's going to lead you to your knees. But not for everybody. Some people, remember, 10 people were asked to leave. We were two of the eight. Or two of the 10. The other eight people, they're fine. They, they're, they feel like they're, they're in the mega church and everything's fine and dandy, but... You and me, we felt like dirt. And the pastor doesn't say, well, you're predestined for hell, so I'm sorry, you can't come back. No, the pastor's like teary-eyed. I've been praying for you. Welcome back. Come on. Let's eat. Let's have a meal. It's not the, you know, the, the really nice, fancy Chinese food, Mexican food, Italian food. Here, let's, let's have a burger. Let's fellowship. Now, we take that example and apply that here in this home fellowship in Colossae. Philemon is the faithful shepherd. Onesimus is the guy who's coming back. And remember verse 7. The objective is that the hearts of the saints have been refreshed. To be refreshing, refreshed and given rest. Now, look in the example that I gave. Look at the beautiful, beautiful fellowship. Look at the rejoicing all around. The former leaven, you and me in this example, we feel like, we don't feel like dirt anymore. We did feel like dirt and praise be to the Lord that we don't feel like dirt anymore. And that's a byproduct of repentance, restoration in the Lord. And now we come back to the fellowship, submitting to the faithful shepherd. 
Now we know, okay, when the faithful shepherd teaches, number one, we're going to listen. Number two, when the faithful shepherd warns, number one, the first time, listen, we're not playing games. We're going to do exactly what he says. Number, number, number three, I forgot what number I was on, but number three, if he warns the second time, listen, there's not going to be a second time. There's not even going to be a first time because we learned the first time the error of our ways. Now we know this is a qualified shepherd who loves us, yes, but he loves God more. He's faithful unto the Lord. You see, yes, he loves us, but he loves the Lord more. Yeah, we can go to the Methodist church. We can go to the Episcopal church and yeah, they sure love us. We can still do the sex, the drugs, the crack, the meth, the whatever it is. And look, we can go to this church and get our government crack pipes too. You see, we can do the extortion, no big deal. But that's the apostate. That's the apostate church. And in learning the error of our ways, yes, we felt like dirt. But praise be to the Lord because of what it produced. Repentance. And you look at the fellowship. You and me were rejoicing like crazy because we're, we're family again. Number two, the pastor, he's rejoicing like crazy because we're family again. Number three, the body. Tiny church, you say the body. It's like five people. <laughs> we're rejoicing again. It's family. You see? The shepherd was faithful, yes. But look at this restoration that is happening. In this appeal of Paul, he says in verse 10, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, which is like, consider that shock to the saints in Philemon's house in this home fellowship, tiny church, whom I have begotten while in my chains. Now, this is a big deal. Do you remember in our Old Testament studies about influencers? How when Israel is going to enter the promised land, and God says to Moses, you know, don't let these people be your influencers. And so Moses, in obedience to the Lord, tells the people, don't let these surrounding peoples be your influencers. And Moses, in pouring into Joshua, Joshua tells the people, don't let these other peoples be your influencers. I mean, it's not like, hey, Israel, go into Canaan and become Canaanites. You see, hey, Israel, go into this region where there's the Moabites and you become Moabites. No, you are Israel. You see, you have these influencers and the ramifications of influencers in the Old Testament and New Testament. I mean, look at Corinth, how there was a church in Corinth, 
But what happened when the church looked more like Corinth than the the church became Corinth? You see? Corinth is Corinth. The world is the world. But what happens when the world comes into the church? I mean, what's the difference? I mean, you're in the world, you see the sex, the drugs, the rock and roll, the meth, the crack, the Buddha, the Ouija boards. And then you go into the church and what do you see? The sex, the drugs, the crack, the Ouija boards, the extortion, the whatever. You see, it's the same. There's no difference. The only difference is that instead of, you know, Sunday morning being in bed, you're Sunday morning sitting in the pew. What's the difference? That's the only difference. Sunday, instead of bed, you're, you're, you're in the pew. That's the only difference. That's when Paul says, listen, your rejoicing is not a good thing. Picture that. Paul is saying to Christians, to saints, they gather together. Surely that's a good thing. It's a good thing when the formula is right. See? Episunagage ecclesia koinonia. When the formula is right, beautiful. When the formula is wrong, hey, you're rejoicing. It's not a good thing. Why? Because there's leaven in the camp. Just like with Aiken. Remember Aiken? Joshua 7 study? Just like with Aiken. See? When Corinth is becomes the influence to the Corinthian saints, look at what happens. But what happens when the influencer is Paul, is Titus, is Timothy, is Philemon? Beautiful. Alexander, not good. Hymenaeus, not good. You see? And you see how the paths of Onesimus and Paul have connected. They've connected by some divine appointment. By divine appointment. Somehow, somewhere, that is unknown. Like where it happened, precisely where it happened, how the how it just so happened that these two paths cross. Praise be to the Lord that they did cross. And Paul says of this Onesimus, I have begotten him while in my chains. You know how this translates in the Greek? I have begotten. It's to bring forth and regenerate. I have begotten. It's to bring forth and regenerate. Now, according to Calvinism and Reformed theology, which is a theory, that's impossible. That's impossible. Verse 10 is impossible, according to Calvinism. It's impossible. But Calvinism is unbiblical because Paul is saying, I've regenerated him. That's impossible according to Calvinism. He says in verse 10, I appeal to you for my son, my son Onesimus, whom I have regenerated. 
whom I have brought forth, whom I have regenerated. According to Calvinism, that's impossible. So what do we do? What's what's the correct approach? Is the correct approach to throw away the Bible and stand in the doctrines of Calvinism? No. We throw away Calvinism. We throw away Reformed theory. And we stand in the truth of God's holy word. You see? Praise be to the Lord that we have this example. This biblical example of this chain of events. We see here in verse 11, speaking of Onesimus, who was once unprofitable to you or useless or detrimental and harmful. You see, leaven must be addressed. The works of the flesh. It must be warned. The divisiveness, those who cause divisions, how they cause divisions, it could be the flesh, it could be through ideas and theologies and theories and dogmas and genealogies, but it must be addressed. Addressed. The carnal nature must always, always, always be addressed by the faithful shepherd. Remember, understanding the framework and the formula of, 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 of the qualified shepherd not a hypocrite. Only the clean can clean. You know, the warning is given. Hey, you know, warning one. Warning two. And there is no warning three. And that's not like, you know, hey, you know, three strikes you're out or two strikes you're out. No, it's like, there's pain associated with that. It's not like, you know, the shepherd says, hey, boom, you're out of here and, you know, everything's fine and dandy. It's dealt with according to the spirit. It's dealt with. But there is such pain. Crazy, crazy pain. And so, speaking of Onesimus, who was once unprofitable to you, he says in verse 11. Harmful, detrimental, and useless. Understand that the leaven was addressed according to formula. But then when you look at the leaven's perspective, remember the the 10 people who were leaven in the example we gave? Eight of them? They're fine and dandy, you know, they're with the mega church and the guys tickling their ears. But you and me, we feel like dirt. And praise be to the Lord because that's the avenue by which we come back to Christ. And now we rejoice. And now we're refreshed and given rest in the Lord. And this Onesimus, who was once unprofitable, useless, detrimental, and harmful to you, 
But now, in verse 11, but now is profitable to you and to me. You see, Onesimus found his way to Paul and became regenerated. Paul says, I regenerated him. You see? Now, people say a lot of Calvinists and Reformed, they say Onesimus was never a Christian before meeting Paul. And it is said to support the ideology and theory of Calvinism and Reformed theory that twists another passage. Turn with me really quick to 1 John chapter 2. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. It is written, 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Little children, emphasis on little children. Not mature, not deadly, not even adolescent, little children. And Brother John says this, inspired of the Spirit. Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. Verse 19. They went out from us. But they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. Calvinists and the Reformed They're not rightly dividing the word of God. Look at Onesimus. He was on the outside. Don't forget, in the very beginning of verse 18, little children, John is teaching young believers, baby Christians, Not the mature, definitely not the deadly. Now, there are very sobering realities of this verse in verse 19. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But within the framework of an ideology, within the framework of theory that teaches God predestines people to hell and God predestines people to heaven, which is a lie from the pit of hell. The Calvinists and the Reformed, they use verse 19 to support that false theology, that false theory, that false ideology. You see? But biblically, there's always room for grace and mercy. I mean, Look at the leaven from Corinth. Look at the leaven from Corinth. Look at 
Onesimus. Verse 20 in 1 John chapter 2, verse 20 says, But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. Now, praise be to the Lord. The anointing and baptism of the Holy Spirit, praise be to the Lord. But don't forget, that can be extinguished. Which is why the Bible says, do not quench the Spirit or do not extinguish the Spirit. You see? Don't forget that the shepherds who were in the power of the Spirit, tasked with overseeing and shepherding, they became wolves. Acts chapter 20, remember our study? You see? John is speaking and teaching babies in Christ, the milk drinkers in Christ. There are theories and theologies that hold on to certain verses to support an idea of God predestining people to hell, which is in itself a lie from the pit of hell. God doesn't predestine people to hell. People have a choice to make. You see, they have a choice to make. Now, listen to our study about predestination. You'll understand more biblical predestination. It's very important to understand these things that, you know, predestination, a predetermined destination requires obedience. I love modern technology, like, you know, the, the map on the phone, the GPS in the car. The voice says, turn left, you got to turn. You, you predetermine your destination. Predestined. The voice says, turn left, you got to turn left. The voice says, turn right, you got to turn right. The voice says, go straight, you got to go straight. The voice says, stop, you have arrived. Okay, stop, we've arrived. It's the same with the word of God. Predestination is very biblical. Very, very biblical. To heaven or to hell requires obedience to heaven, disobedience to hell. Choice. Listen to our study. Biblical predestination, predestination biblically explained. You see? According to Calvinism and Reformed theology, which is a theory, Onesimus shouldn't have left. Because, you know, if, you know, if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, what Brother John says, but Brother John is speaking to babies. You see? According to Calvinism Reformed, they, Onesimus shouldn't have left. Forgiveness and reconciliation. It's not just part of the Christian walk. It's straight up, it is our walk. Forgiveness and reconciliation. It's straight up, it's, it is our walk. Turn it to me really quick to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Second Corinthians chapter two. 
2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears. Not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. I mean, in 1 Corinthians, this is 2 Corinthians. Remember, there's a three-year gap between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, a three-year gap. And Paul is saying three years after writing his first letter, that it was painful to write 1 Corinthians. It was painful for him to write 1 Corinthians. I mean, he says it right here, straight up in verse 4. Out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears. You see? Not that you should be grieved. That wasn't the purpose. It's like, oh, I'm going to write you this letter uh, so that you can be grieved, so that I can hurt you. No, that's not the objective. Even though grieving was part of that. The objective is explained, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. But if anyone has caused grief, he has not grieved. He has not grieved me, but all of you to some extent, not to be too severe. This punishment, which was inflicted by the majority, is sufficient for such a man. Now, Remember the leaven. What happens when there's the separation from the, the separation of the remnant from the leaven? Now, what happens with the leaven? Well, the ball's in their court. Just like the example we gave with the 10 people, you and me, we happen to be in that lump of leaven. The ball was in our court. It produced grief and anguish in us now it came in the course of time because you know we were kind of you know we were hurt yes it produced grief and anguish yes there's that pain yes but the aftermath and that's what we see here in second corinthians three years after the first letter he says in verse 7, so that on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. You see? You and me in that example, where we were formerly leavened, now brought back into the fellowship. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. For to this end, I also wrote, that I might put you to the test. See, hands-off approach. Hands-off approach. Paul goes out of his way to not lord over anybody's walk with the Lord. Just like in Philemon, he's, you know, I could command you, I could tell you exactly what to do, but I'm not going to do that. Because I want you to see the power and the spirit. I want you to see the power. He goes out of his way. He, he says, I could tell you exactly what to do. But I'm not going to do that. But rather, I appeal to you, he says. Just like in Corinth. Listen, he's a wealth of information and knowledge, a gift of the Spirit. And he says, listen, I'm only coming with milk. Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's it. 
you say, well, he could have prevented a whole lot of mess. Well, a whole lot of mess was prevented to those with ears, to those with eyes to see. Look at Chloe. A whole lot of mess was prevented among the remnant. You see? Just as Jesus says, a time is coming and is here now where people will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. When does God ever force anybody to believe in him? When does God ever force anybody to obey him? The answer is never. Ball was in their court. Ball was in Moses' court. Ball was in Joshua's court. Ball was in Hannah's court. Ball was in Samuel's court. Ball was in Paul's court. Ball was in James' court. Ball was in uh, Priscilla's court. Chloe's court. Ball is in your court. Ball is in my court. We have a choice to make. How is it that a person responds to the light? And as Jesus says, light came into the world, but people love darkness more than the light. You see? People love darkness more than the light. And to love more, it's still a choice. You see? And Paul says in verse 9, for, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, For to this end I also wrote that I might put you to the test, whether you are obedient in all things. You see? He can't, he can't force obedience. He can't mandate obedience. He could teach. He could pour into the saints and teach them about righteousness, teach them about the word of God, share with them his desires. But beyond that, ball's in their court. You see? He takes a hands-off approach. Which is, it's godly. Sometimes you see faithful shepherds, they get named the do-nothing pastor. Oh, you're do-nothing pastor. You don't tell us about this. You don't tell us about this. You don't. It's like, listen, what about the power in the spirit? Who is it that has ears to hear and eyes to see that, yes, I choose the Lord. I choose to follow the Lord within the construct of this holy formula. I align to him. Who is it that has eyes to see and ears to hear and makes that choice for himself, for herself? I don't care how old. I don't care how young. Now you understand the wisdom of Paul's hands-off approach. Oh, he's a do-nothing pastor. He could have commanded us to do this and this would have never happened. Yeah, he could have. He could have. But he didn't. But he could have prevented this. It was prevented in the remnant, in Chloe, 
You see? I love that. Oh, but he's a do-nothing pastor. Look, he doesn't do this. He doesn't do this. He doesn't do this. But you know what? He's on his face before the Lord. He's praying for the saints. And so we see here in verse 10. Now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. You see? One body. One body. You forgive him, I forgive him too. One body, many parts. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that I for, have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. In the presence of Christ. Notice there's always a threat. Verse 11, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. You see? It's always that threat. Satan roams around like a lion, waiting for whom he may devour. You see? Forgiveness, reconciliation, that's not part of our walk. That is the Christian walk. Remember? Balak as a type of Satan. He didn't send the warriors down to the camp of Israel. He sent the harlots to defile. But the same thing happens today. Satan sends his servants harlotry to defile and twist the scriptures. You see? Because how is it that Brother John, remember, he's speaking to babies, he's speaking to little children, and he says in 1 John chapter 2, he says in verse 19, that they went out from us, but they were not from us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. You see, the Calvinists, the Reformed, they lean on that verse. They say, well, they went out from us. He never believed. She was never a Christian. He was never a Christian. Wrong. Wrong. They say that to support an idea, an ideology that doesn't line up with Scripture. You see? Because what about the leaven in Corinth? Three years later, Paul says, listen, just like that example, you and me with the 10, the 10 leaven, you and me happen to be two of the 10. Reconcili reconciliation and forgiveness. Now we're brought back into the camp. You see? When we read in Titus, you know, warning one, warning two, there is no warning three. It's true. There is no warning three. But that's not to say the fight is over. You see? Reconciliation and forgiveness, but always within the framework of sound doctrine. Because a lot of times you have pastors today who are going crazy. They're exhausted because it's like reconciliation, forgiveness, reconciliation, forgiveness. And it's like, you know, 10 times, 20 times. The guy does his sex, okay, 10 times, 20 times, 30 times. The guy does his meth, okay, 10 times, 20 times. The guy, you know, all kinds of works of the flesh. 
But that's not how the Bible teaches. The Bible says God's house must be clean. There's always mercy. There's always grace. But there's also warning. And then there's also, listen, no more. This isn't happening. Why? Because I have sheep to protect. I have a flock of God to protect. And you're bringing harm to the body. You're bringing harm to the saints. So I'm sorry, this fellowship isn't for you. I love you. I don't hate you. I don't count you as a non-believer. You're still my brother. You're still my sister. But this fellowship, you cannot fellowship anymore. Not here. Because there's sheep that need to be protected. The flock, not my flock. It's the flock of God. They belong to him. You see? Remember, in Philemon, verse 11, Philemon chapter 1, there's only one chapter. But verse 11, speaking of Onesimus, he was once unprofitable to you or harmful and detrimental and useless to you. But he's different, Onesimus. He's different. Now he's different. Now he's no longer unprofitable in verse 11, but now is profitable to you and to me. How is he different? He's been begotten of Paul. He is regenerated. The very words that Paul uses, I have regenerated him. Which, that's impossible according to Calvinism. You see, a lot of Calvinists use First John chapter 2, that, you know, if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. And then they use that to explain, well, he was never really saved. She was never really saved. But they say it to support a theory, which is unsupported itself by the truth of Scripture. You see? If you're listening and you happen to be Levin, if you are listening wherever you are in the world and you happen to be Levin, biblical Levin, by the works of the flesh, my message to you is to repent. Repent. And let's get you cleaned up. Because yes, it's true in 1 John chapter 2. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they, notice in this last part of verse 19. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But when you have the construct of full doctrine and you understand that God is not willing that any should perish. This door of mercy and grace, it's still open. It's not going to be open forever and it's not going to be open for long. But it is open. And if you happen to be leaven, 
Let's get you cleaned up. You repent. Right here, right now. Hit pause, listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you recommit your life to Christ. You see? Forgiveness. Reconciliation. Be reconciled to Jesus. Be ye reconciled to Jesus. And let's walk together to paradise. I'm not a Calvinist. I'm not Reformed theory. You know why? Because they're not biblical. Be reconciled to Jesus. That's if you're Levin. Now, if you're not Levin and you're not in Christ, well, be reconciled to Jesus. Hit pause, listen to the message, message, how to commit your life. And don't recommit your life to Christ. Commit your life to Christ. And let's walk together to paradise. You see? And so we see here in verse 11 that this Onesimus, who was once unprofitable, once detrimental and harmful and useless, but he's different now. He's begotten not of Alexander, not of Hymenaeus, not of the grave soakers, not of the take the mark of the beast guy and you'll still be saved. No. Paul. Regenerated by Paul. Not like the average bear. And Paul says, he was once unprofit unprofitable, yes, but now he is profitable. To you and to me. In verse 12, I'm sending him back. See, detrimental Onesimus. You see, harmful Onesimus. Once harmful. Now he's regenerated by Paul. Onesimus is different. He is not the same. I'm sending him back, he says in verse 12. You therefore receive him. That is my own heart. Oh my goodness. Paul says of Onesimus, my own heart, receive him. He's definitely different. Now, remember verse 7. Remember verse 7. We want hearts to be refreshed and to have rest. You see? Picture. <clears throat> Picture Onesimus. Whatever form of harm that he was in the body, whatever form of detriment and harm that he was to the body, the home fellowship. And Philemon, you know, he taught, gave warning, and finally said, listen, no more. This fellowship is not for you. And Onesimus left. Now, there are many points of pain here. Pain for Onesimus, pain for Philemon, and pain for the body in the tiny church, the fellowship, the home fellowship. But the saints can pray. We're going to pray for Onesimus. You see? And you see, you know, somehow Onesimus, the paths of Onesimus and Paul came together. 
and they came together. And now look. Paul is saying of this guy who was once detrimental and harmful to us in this tiny home fellowship. Paul is saying, receive him, that is my own heart. You see how powerful that is? When when Paul says to separate from a person, to separate from a brother, he says, don't count them as a non-believer. Don't count them as a non-believer. If they want to be leavened, he's still a brother. If she wants to be leavened, she's still a sister. But Paul's in her court. What happens there? You know, that's between him and God. That's between her and God. But we can still pray. Reconciliation. Forgiveness. Because the Calvinist says, well, you know, if they were of us, they would have stayed with us. So he was never a believer. She was never a believer. What's the hope for the leaven? What's the hope for the leaven in Calvinism? What's the hope for the leaven? There is no hope for the leaven. Because according to Calvinism, well, if they were of us, they would have stayed with us. You see? Now, what's really sad is that the leaven doesn't realize that Calvinism is false doctrine. You see? And so a lot of Calvinists exercising church government, church government, church government, Matthew 18 model. Matthew 18 is very biblical, but it is very abused today by carnal men, stupid men, the idiots, idiotes in the Greek, those without understanding, highly, highly, highly abused And so you have a pastor who will say, well, you're leaven, so I'm sorry, you're out of here. When really, biblically, you know who the leaven is? The pastor. You know who the wolf is? The pastor. You see? A lot of women have husbands that are sex heads. And you know, oh, you know, pastor, my, my husband's a sex head, man. You know, he does all, he does his pornography. He does this. And then the pastor says, well, you know, we're godly men. So you need to submit to your husband. So look, you're a little chubby. You got to go work out. You got to wear your makeup. You got to dress like this. You got to do your hair. You got to do this. You got to do this. And then you have to please him sexually. You see? Fools. That is such, that is the language of the wolf. You see, a a guy, an elder in the church who was molesting children, sexually pleasing himself with children, children. I mean, with adults, it's bad, but with children, it's like the closer you get to innocence, the closer you get to the, you know, like this is like, it's not good. I mean, with adults, it's not good, but with children, it's like next level, not good. And the pastors, the elders, the so-called overseers. Well, that happened because wife, you let yourself go and you don't please your husband sexually. Now it's her fault? Now it's the wife's fault? 
you see? And sin begets sin begets sin begets sin. False doctrine begets more sin begets more false doctrine. When the whole theory needs to be thrown in the trash. And you know what? The Lord, when Jesus returns, he's, he's going to judge it all. He's going to judge it all. Today, you and me, we make a determination within ourselves. And that can only come from understanding and knowing sound doctrine. And when you have a love of the, a profound love of truth, you realize, listen, this guy's mega church, but he's crazy. This guy's mega church and he wants to go grave soaking. This guy's mega church, study Bible, and he wants to take the mark of the beast and says that you can still, you'll still be saved. You see? There is hope for the leaven. There is always hope for the leaven. But the ball's in their court. They have a choice to make. That pain of correction. Remember, like <clears throat> in that example, we have 10, ten people were leaven. You and me were the two. We were asked, like, listen, this fellowship is not for you. There's pain with that. That hurts. Now, when people are hurt like that, I mean, you see people lash out. When they're hurt, they lash out like crazy. More works of the flesh, which will ultimately be judged. But for you and me in that example, it produced such a pain in us that didn't exalt us in our pride and arrogance and error. It humiliated us and brought us to our knees. In both cases, in those two, whether on knees or whether self-exalted, the ball was in their court. You and me, we were brought to our knees. And that's what godly sorrow does. Godly sorrow, sorrow when it's handled within the framework of godliness. See, it's there's not people think, okay, I'm gonna take my antidepressants because I, I want to erase sorrow, I want to erase depression, I want to erase pain. No, it's part of life. It's part of life. You will have sorrow, you will have sadness, you will have moments of depression. But what do we do with those emotions? Do we follow those emotions? No. Never follow emotions. You take them to the Lord. You see? You take them to the Lord. And it's in those moments of deep emotion, whether joy, whether sorrow, whether anger, whether rage, whether whatever, anxiety, whatever it is, you take it to the Lord. We take it to the Lord. And the Lord heals. You see? It's, you see how jam-packed Philemon, it's just one little chapter, not a lot of verses, but you see how jam-packed it is? 
And so we continue in Philemon chapter 1, <clears throat> in verse 12, he says, I'm sending him back. You therefore receive him. That is my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me. I love that. I wanted to keep him. He says that on your behalf, he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. Do you see how hardcore this is? How powerful this is? Onesimus? Onesimus, formerly detrimental? Formerly harmful, detrimental, and useless? And Paul, when he says that he might minister to me, Paul is now using the word diaconeo, where we get the word deacon. You see? Behold God's handiwork. But even in Paul, behold God's handiwork. Because Paul was renovated himself. Remember, he's a former killer and imprisoner and beater of Christians. That's Paul in his BC days. Onesimus too. Philemon too. No one is born qualified in pastoral ministry. You see? You have Paul, who was a former killer of Christians, and now he's a shepherd. That's the handiwork of the Good Shepherd. Capital G, capital S, the Good Shepherd. He says in verse 14, but without your consent, I wanted to do nothing that your good deed might not be by compulsion. Remember, he takes a backseat approach. He doesn't want to lord over anybody's walk with the Lord. Paul could, just as he says, listen, in, in, in verse 8, I could command you. I could tell you exactly what to do, but I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to appeal to you. Just like in Corinth, I came with milk, but I came with milk on purpose that Jesus Christ and only him crucified. You see? You say, well, he could have prevented a lot. If he just gave them more information, he could have prevented a lot of things. Well, there was prevention of a lot of works of the flesh, but in the remnant, in Chloe and in Chloe's household. There was. To those with ears, to those with eyes to see and ears to hear. But outside of that construct and framework, you see the flesh begets the flesh, begets the flesh, begets the flesh. Where were the pastors? Where were, where were the elders? You see? There are biblical qualifications for overseeing. He says in verse 14, I wanted to do nothing that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. You see? Paul is saying, listen, I, I want to keep Onesimus. I want to keep him. My my son Onesimus, in verse 10, he says, my son Onesimus, I want to keep him with me. He, he can minister to me. Diaconeo, he can minister to me. 
But Paul doesn't want to lord over anybody's walk. He knows that the saints in the fellowship, the home fellowship of Philemon, they need to grow, mature, and learn. He says, okay, the ball's in your court. I'm sending Onesimus to you. You see? Whether you send him back to me, that's that's on you. So Paul has yo-yos, but understand, churches have yo-yos as well. Now, we're not in the internet age at this time. You know, 62 AD, no internet. You can't go on like social media and say, hey, Paul, how you doing? No. No like, you know, uh, FaceTime or, you know, the, the video chats or Zoom meetings. They didn't? 60, oh, 62 AD, no. Paul had yo-yos and churches had yo-yos. That's that's a ministry position, which isn't just for anybody. Remember, we make the distinctions. There are qualifiers. It's not just warm bodies. Hey, we need a warm body. We need to run over here. We need a warm body. Hey, you. We'll forget the sex, the drugs. We'll put that to the side. You know, we need you to do this. No, no. Very specific formula for vessels of the Lord. Holiness unto the Lord. You see? And Paul says, listen. In verse 8, I could command you exactly what to do. In verse uh, verse 14, he said, I, I, I could do these things. I, I could say, you know, this is how it's going to be. But backseat approach. Why? So that those with eyes and those with ears can see the power and see the moving of the Spirit. The backseat approach. You see? And you hear us say backseat approach. But don't forget, Paul would pray like crazy. Paul would pray. And the Lord would hear. The Lord would come. Remember the red letters in the book of Acts? When everybody said, you know, the apostles, you know, don't go, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go to Jerusalem. And the spirit says, listen, go to Jerusalem. Change and tribulation await you. Where were the red letters? With Paul. And so we see in verse 15, for, for perhaps he departed for a while. Translate says, put asunder and separated for a season. This flies in the face of Reformed theology. This flies in the face of Calvinism. You see? Oh, he was never really a Christian. If he was a Christian, he would have stayed with us. She was never really a Christian. If she was a Christian, she would have stayed with us. You see? They twist the scripture to fit a theory when the theory itself needs to be thrown in the trash can. Why? It's unbiblical. Oh, if, if he was really a Christian, then he would have stayed with us. But, you know, he's predestined for hell. Oh, he's, regeneration, that's the spirit of the Lord. The spirit does it. Well, 
Paul says in verse 10 about Onesimus, I regenerated him. What does that say of Calvinism? Oh, it's the spirit, the spirit, the spirit. He does the regeneration. The spirit does the regeneration. Okay. If that's what you want to believe, according to that theory, Paul says of Onesimus, I regenerated him. You see, what's better? Throw out the Bible and keep Calvinism? Or throw out Calvinism and abide in the word? Balls in your court. And so we see in verse 15, for perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose that you might receive him forever. You know how this translates in the Greek? That you might receive and keep him forever. I love that. It's no more wishy-washy. You're not like you're in the church. Hey, Onesimus, you know, you're in the, you want to be obedient for a month, but then, you know, you know, you do this other stuff for another month and you're wishy-washy. You're in the church. You're out of the church. You're tossed to and fro. No. That you might receive and keep him forever. Not you're obedient for a couple weeks and then, you know, this works of the flesh for a couple more weeks. You see, pastors become exhausted because they exhaust themselves because they're not aligning with the truth of God's holy word. Pastors are aligning and handling problems biblically. Now, there's various reasons for this. How a pastor becomes defunct, how a pastor, how a shepherd becomes a wolf. There are various reasons, multiple reasons. But the Bible teaches us and shows us what are those qualifications. Full package. Qualified shepherds who teach and warn and deal with the leaven. And to say deal with the leaven, it's not like, okay, listen, you know, you smoke a cigarette, now you're out of here. You know, you smoke a cigarette, now I'm going to deal with you. No, no, it's not carnal. There's warning upon warning, but it's not warning upon warning forever. There comes a time when a shepherd has to say, listen, I'm sorry, I love you. You're my brother, you're my sister, but this fellowship, it's not for you. You see? Because there's a flock of God. There are God's people, not mine. They belong to the Lord, and they need to be protected. You see? And once there's leaven, leaven doesn't have to stay leaven. You see? Leaven doesn't have to stay leaven. You know, that's between, that's for the leaven to determine. Remember the example, the 10 people got, you know, told, you know, hey, don't fellowship anymore. And, you know, the eight people, they loved it. You know, the Chinese food, Mexican food, the Italian food, they loved it. Mega church, a lot of people, they got their friends, the kids can have their friends, old kids with other kids, high schoolers with other high schoolers, junior high with junior high, toddlers with the toddlers. And, oh, look, we can fellowship and look, accountability, the men's fellowship, the ladies' fellowship, accountability with the ladies and look, all these things. And we're going to have all these friends and the pastor's going to tickle my ears and we have all these friends but when you understand the formula who is it that's going to help you grow deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper in your relationship with the Lord and be a friend of 
God. You see? In the case of Onesimus, he was regenerated by Paul. You know what's so powerful? Well, among other things, I mean, this is a loaded chapter. This is a load. I mean, it's just one chapter in the Philemon. It's loaded. But Paul never says to Philemon, how dare you? Paul never says to Philemon, oh, you're not loving. Paul knows all about the formula. Philemon knows all about formula. And within the construct of this holy formula, there's always forgiveness and reconciliation. The door is always open. Well, I say always open, but this door of mercy and grace, it's not going to be open forever. We're living in very perilous times. We are living in the last days. You see? But Paul doesn't say like, hey, uh, Philemon, how dare you do this? How dare you say Onesimus can't be in your fellowship? Uh, dear Philemon, you're so mean. You're crazy. You lost your mind. Dear Philemon, you're disqualified. No, you don't see that. Paul knows Philemon has a job to do. Service unto the Lord. He knows that the saints are protected in Philemon, in the home fellowship. He knows that those saints are in good hands. But he also knows that leaven doesn't have to stay leaven. In the case of Onesimus, who he now refers to as his son, he says, I regenerated him. Paul says, I regenerated him. Which obliterates Calvinism. And he says for in verse 15, for perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose. That you might receive him forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave. A beloved brother. Not just run-of-the-mill brother. A beloved brother. And Paul says, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. In the flesh, you have face-to-face -face fellowship. And in the Lord, you have unity. Unity of the body. You see? You see how beautiful this is? Somehow, for some reason, whatever it was, Onesimus was unprofitable, detrimental, and harmful to the home fellowship. Whatever it was. And then there was the separation. Listen, Onesimus, you can't fellowship here. And Paul doesn't reprimand Philemon. No way. He knows that only the clean can clean. He knows the flock of God must be protected. He knows that Onesimus, in the state of being detrimental and harmful, was harmful to the flock. 
But now Onesimus is different. Levin doesn't have to stay Levin. You see? And Paul is saying, receive him. My own heart. That's reconciliation. And so we get to verse 17. In closing, he says, If then you count me as a partner or companion, receive him as you would me. Now, this is powerful, but I also think it's kind of... He drives a hard bargain. I remember, remember verse 8 and 9 when he says, you know, I could command you. I could tell you exactly what to do, but I rather appeal to you. And then he says in verse 17, if you count me as a partner, if you count me as a companion. You see, Paul's appeal can have strong suggestion. <laughs> I mean, if you count me as a companion, then receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or if he has hurt, injured, done you wrong or offended you or owes anything, put that on my account. Attribute it all to me. That's what Paul says of the infractions of Onesimus. Attribute it to me. If you count me as a companion, remember, no face-to-face meeting, Paul with the saints. In Colossae, except for Onesimus. You see? Who's now begotten of Paul? Who's now regenerated by Paul? And Paul is saying, listen, if you count me as a companion, companion. See, Koinonia doesn't have borders, doesn't have borders. Godliness has borders. The borders is the word of God. And Paul is in prison and he's saying, if you count me as a companion, impossible according to the flesh, but according to the spirit, entirely possible. And he says in verse 17, receive him as you would me, but as if he has wronged you or owes anything, put that on my account, attribute it to me. Not to Onesimus, you see. For Onesimus, he's saying to Philemon and the saints in the home fellowship, be reconciled, receive him. And not just receive him, receive him and keep him is how it translates in the Greek. He says, I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay or I will pay in full. And then he says, not to mention to not to mention to you that you owe me, he says, even your own self besides. Now, <laughs> remember he says, I could command you what to do, but I'm not gonna command you. I'm rather appealing to you. There's not a command, it's just an appeal. But then he also, you know. By the way, you know, you follow my instructions. And if you follow my instructions, you're not going to burn in hell. You're going to enter paradise. So like in one sense, you owe me. And verse 19, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own selves beside. You see, yes, he takes a backseat approach. Yes. But at the same time, there is sometimes suggestion Sometimes strong suggestion and sometimes very strong suggestion. 
Remember, like a, a very basic suggestion when he says, you know, hey, you know, I recommend this isn't a command, but I recommend that you don't get married. Stay single so that you can, it's not say stay single so you can go to the bars and do all this stuff. No, stay single so we can please the Lord. You see, a suggestion. But then you have very strong suggestions when it comes to reconciliation and forgiveness. You know, if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. Receive him as you would me, my own heart, so that you can receive and keep him. But don't forget, you owe me even your own selves besides. I mean, don't forget, because of my instruction, you heed these instructions, you're not going to burn in hell. I mean, he drives a hard bargain, you know. When you see these suggestions, when he takes a backseat approach, you see the importance of the subject at hand, such as forgiveness and reconciliation. He says in verse 20, yes, brother, this is Philemon, remember. Not included, the book of Philemon, you will not find it in studies on the pastoral epistles. I mean, you go to seminary, you go to Bible college, you... but he's a pastor, he's a shepherd. And so we do include him in the pastoral epistles. And he says, yes, brother, in verse 20, let me have joy from you in the Lord. I'll tell you a little secret. When you have a qualified shepherd and you know the formula, your obedience to Jesus, it's a precious gift to the faithful shepherd. He has joy through your obedience. Just like with Paul. Brother Philemon, in verse 20, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. You see this unity of the saints? The saints refreshed in verse 7, but then the shepherds refreshed here in verse 20. The body caring for the body. One body, many parts. I mean, one part is in jail. One part is in prison. According to the flesh, not together. According to the spirit, unity, companionship. That's if the home fellowship in verse 17, if they count Paul as a companion. But they do. In verse 21, having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. You see, forgiveness, reconciliation, refreshing joy. This is holiness unto the Lord. Holiness unto the Lord. Remember our Old Testament studies in Torah? Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, leprosy. The leper doesn't stay a leper. In the course of time, let's get you cleaned up. Same thing in the church. Leaven doesn't stay leaven. Remember? We're not the water, we're not the soap, we're not the shampoo, but we got to get in the shower. It's very holy, very holy. 
in verse 22. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest <laughs> also prepare a guest room for me. Now, now remember, you know, <laughs> Paul does go out of his way to not lord over anyone. But then you see something a little different when it's worker to worker. <laughs> When it's worker to work, qualified worker to qualified worker, it's a little different. You know, prepare a guest room for me. Worker to qualified worker to qualified worker. To the remnant, a little different. You see? For I trust that through your prayers, I shall be granted to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. Now, it's sad because, you know, this letter was written before the letters to Timothy. And we know that in the course of time, Demas didn't last too long. He didn't last much longer beyond this point. Remember Bright Light's big city? He was seduced. Satan is a fisherman too. Where Satan sees Koinonia... Satan will oppose. I mean, even before koinonia, because Satan doesn't want anybody to get to that level of koinonia. What is koinonia? Well, when a fellowship, a good indicator of koinonia is when a fellowship, two things, when a fellowship feels like home and when the saints in the fellowship feel the love is deeper than biological family. Those are good indicators of koinonia, unity in the body of Christ. You see, what flows from there? That's like, we're, that would be like Book of Acts territory. I mean, powerful, powerful in the Lord and in the power of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. But Satan, he knows that. You see? Demas, he didn't last too long. Bright lights, big city. He said, see you later, Paul. I'm out. And yet we see in verse 25, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Now, can you see this love feast? <laughs> the koinonia and the love feast in this home fellowship tiny church. Philemon as the qualified shepherd, the pastor. Oh, you can't call him pastor. Look, he doesn't have 20 people. He doesn't have 50 people. He doesn't have a thousand people. So he's not pastor. When you look at the pastoral epistles, you do not see the reference of numbers. It doesn't matter. Numbers is irrelevant. Irrelevant. But when you understand formula, when you see koinonia, the effectuation of what leads a body into koinonia, it's very special, very holy. And that's secret. When saints have your heart more than biological family, you're tasting love feast and koinonia. It cannot be manufactured. 
It cannot be manufactured. It's of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And from there, He'll gift. You see? It has nothing to do with numbers. I've been in fellowships of two, and I've been in fellowships of 14,000. And you'd be shocked if I told you where I tasted love feast. You'd be shocked. You see how loaded Philemon is? It covers from 1 Corinthians, the very beginning of 1 Corinthians, all the way to here, understanding the framework of formula in sound doctrine. It's just one little chapter, not a lot of verses. And yet it's loaded. I mean, it, it could be 10 chapters minimum. I mean, it could be 50 chapters, but it could be 10 chapters minimum. It's loaded. Now, if you're a baby Christian, a baby believer, praise be to the Lord. You know, you learn about forgiveness and reconciliation. But if you're mature, it's that forgiveness and reconciliation and much more. You see the depth, the depth of Philemon. But I have a little warning on top of this. And the warning is with the guilt trippers. The guilt trippers who say, oh, you, you know, you should, and you know, fill in the blank. You know, they, they, a, a guy has done you wrong. You should, you know, forgive him. You should be reconciled to him. You should, you know, this and that. Now, it's, it's always good to forgive. Remember, we lead with peace. It's always good to forgive. And reconciliation, you know, sometimes, you know, you see it a lot in, in families where like a husband will be a sex head and do his, you know, the strippers, the pornography, the uh, 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 prostitutes, and then nobody knows. Wife and kids, nobody knows. And then all of a sudden the wife finds out and it, 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 it's just coincidence that the husband, you know, has repented and, you know, it, it has repented at the same time the wife finds out. It just so happens. And a lot of times the men, it, it, they, they say, oh, you know what? I, I, I repented and I'm right with the Lord now. And they're only sorry because they were caught. They're only sorry that they were caught with the pornography, with the strippers, with the uh, prostitutes. And they're only sorry because they were caught. Because if the wife never found out, it's like there would be like they wouldn't even say that. They wouldn't even say, well, you know, I repented to the Lord. I'm, I'm right with the Lord now. So you see this a lot in homes where, you know, the, the husband has some type of sexual sin. And then all of a sudden the wife finds out. The whole family finds out. And then the, the dad, you know, all of a sudden says, oh, look, I repented. I'm right with the Lord. Okay, everything's fine and dandy now. Let's get back to normal. Let's get back to how things used to be. And let's, let's make things nice and neat and this and that. Oh, look, I'm right with the Lord now. But it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. A lot of men, they don't want to reap what they have sown. I'll put it another way. A lot of little boys, they look like men. They got the deep voice. They got the big muscles. They got the hairy chest. But they're little boys because they 
do not want to reap what they have sown. Biblically speaking, a wife can divorce her husband. It is very true that God hates divorce. Very true. It is biblical. God hates divorce. But let me say something to the women. When a husband is unfaithful sexually, you, you did not break the marriage covenant. He did. Okay? Understand. Because a lot of wives are taken through the ringer by disqualified pastors. They call themselves pastors. They got the pastor parking spot. They got the name tag that says, I am the head pastor, but they're fools. And they tell wives, hurting, grieving women, grieving women, that it's your fault. Oh, you don't please him sexually. You're not submitting to him. And look, you're chubby. And look, you don't wear the makeup. Look, you got the wrinkles. And it's your fault. It's That's carnality. Those are disqualified men. Stupid men. Stupid, stupid, idiot men. Idiotes in the Greek. Disqualified shepherds. Do not follow such men. But a lot of women are taken through the ringer. I mean, big time. Like straight up, they're like on depression meds. They're like suicidal because they think that this pastor knows what he's talking about and I'm going to do what he says and I need help. Pastor, what do you say? And then the pastor says, it's your fault, woman. And then the woman feels like dirt. Oh, but God hates divorce. God hates divorce. And, you know, you got to, you know, forgive your husband and, you know, your marriage and fix your marriage and your kids and this and that. And yes, it is biblically true that God hates divorce. But where there's infidelity, the husband wants to be a sex head. He's, it's not you, woman. It's not you who broke the marriage covenant. It's the guy. He did. You see? And a lot of men, little boys, they don't want to reap what they have sown. And when they're caught, they, oh, I repented. I'm right with the Lord. Look, everything's back to normal. Look, let's go out to dinner tonight. Let's watch our TV show. Let's do this. Let's hold hands. Let's walk to the park. Let's do this. Hey, kids, look, you know, we're a happy couple. Hey, look, kids, we're a happy marriage. Everything's back to normal, fine and dandy, because you have stupid men who do not want to reap what they have sown. And what's worse, you have the guilt trippers, you have the meddlers, you have the busybodies, you have the gossips. They corrupt themselves and they corrupt others. Oh, you should forgive him. You should forgive him and be reconciled to him and look and this and that. And yes, there is that aspect of forgiveness. There is that aspect of reconciliation. But everybody still has to reap what they have sown. And if a wife chooses, a wife, it's her choice. The ball's in her court. When, when a husband is, you know, he made his choice. 
You know, I don't want to do this with the wife. I want to do this with the prostitute. I want to do this with prostitute one, two, three, four, five. Stripper number one, two, three, four, five. Pornography number one, two, three, four, five. And okay, he made his choice. But now the wife makes her choice. And the Lord hates divorce. But it's the husband who broke the covenant. Now, if a wife chooses to divorce, that's not like, okay, wife, you can, you know, divorce and go, you know, ladies night and meet husband number two. No, you're done. You're done. Like marriage, no more. You're single. That's it. You see? Otherwise, you become an adulteress. You get married again. It's okay. You're the adulteress. He's the adult. The new husband, he's the adulterer. No, you're done. Now, if you're listening and you're, you are on marriage number two, three, four, five, repent. Let's get you cleaned up. Repent. You see? And this is within the construct of, you know, infidelity in marriage. But the same thing happens when there's the works of the flesh in a church. You have the guilt trippers. The guilt trippers and the meddlers and the busybodies. Oh, look, you should welcome this guy. You should bring him. You be, you know, be reconciled to him. And look, this guy's a crackhead. And, you know, you should open up your home to the crackhead. This guy's a sex head. And you should open up your home to the sex head. Well, wait a second. You have daughters. You know, 12-year-old daughter, 13-year-old daughter. And you're going to welcome the sex head. You see? But yet you have the meddlers and the busybodies. It's very important to make these distinctions. And when you have the full counsel of the Word of God, you're able to make these distinctions. I shouldn't say when you have it, but when you understand it and read it and abide in it. Abide in Him. The Word became flesh. You're able to make these distinctions. But baby Christians can't make these distinctions because they don't know. I'll give you an example. Take a thief. For example, a thief. Why he's a thief? I don't know. Could be drugs, could be whatever. But the busybody says, Hey, receive him. Oh, it's good. It's good. It's godly. It's, it's, it's pleasing to the Lord. Receive him. The meddler says, oh, receive him. Look, it's godliness unto the Lord. The false teacher, the hireling, they say, receive him. It's godliness unto the Lord. The wolf, it's godliness unto the Lord. Now, in this construct, the babies stay babies and God is blasphemed because the thief comes in. And he's like, okay, I'm going to listen to the busybody. I'm going to listen to the meddler. I'm going to listen to the false teacher. And the guy's a thief. Welcome to my house. And all of a sudden, you start to see things missing from your house. You start to see things missing. What happened to my coffee cup? You see? What happened to my plate? I want to eat some spaghetti. What happened to my plate? What happened to my forks? I need, I need a fork for my spaghetti. What happened to my forks? You see? 
You're going to go out and put on a watch? What happened to my watch? Where's my watch? Then you find out that the guy stole it, pawned it off, and bought his drugs, bought his meth. But, but the guy told me, the lady told me, the guy told me that I should receive him. The meddler told me, receive him. The false teacher told me, receive him. The hireling said, receive him. The wolf said, receive him. And this is how babies stay babies. No growth. No maturity. You see? But within a similar framework, say, you and me are in a fellowship. And we have a qualified shepherd. Biblically qualified. Full package. And there's a person who has wronged us and hurt us. And the qualified shepherd says to us, Receive him as my own heart. There's a difference. It's much different. Because... The guy who has wronged us, the thief, he's a former thief, begotten by the qualified shepherd. And when the qualified shepherd says, receive him as my own heart, it's not a guilt trip. You see, the qualified shepherd wants us safe. The qualified shepherd wants the former thief safe. And babies don't stay babies. Babies grow safely and move on to perfection. You see? And that's what happens when you and me, when we understand formula. They're easily identified. Who's qualified and who's disqualified. When the formula is wrong, saints get tossed to and fro. I mean, it just blows me away so much because you have a lot of guilt trippers today who are babies themselves. And they say, well, you got to, hey, look, take in this guy, take in this lady. Busybodies, meddlers, false teachers, pseudodelphos, servants of Satan, hirelings, wolves. They come in all, all different shapes, all different sizes. And they guilt trip. Well, you look, it's godly to forgive. So listen, receive this guy. You see? Remember, we're called to be loving. We're called to be gracious. We're called to be merciful. We are called to reconcile. But never in the Bible are we called to be stupid. Never. You see? These are distinctions which have to be made. This isn't a guilt trip. This isn't Alexander saying, Hey, Philemon, we got this guy over here. Yeah, he's a thief, but you know, here, welcome him into your home. Welcome him into your fellowship. This isn't Alexander or Hymenaeus saying, Hey, uh, Philemon, look, we got this 
We got this thief over here. Yeah, he was with me for a while, and he was with me and Alexander. Look, I'm, 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 uh, Himenaeus. He was with me and Alexander, and Philemon. Look at, uh, he needs a place to stay. Look at, welcome into, into your fellowship. Because if Philemon were to do that, Philemon would be the fool. We know that Himenaeus and Alexander, they're disqualified. They are disqualified. And in their disqualification, they can't tread in this area because they disqualify themselves. Philemon, he understands formula. But when Paul speaks of Onesimus and says, I have regenerated him. He wasn't regenerated by Alexander. He wasn't regenerated by uh, Himenaeus, which is found the degeneration. You see, remember, I'm Paul the Aged. A little uh, throwing out some credentials there. We make these distinctions. Because there are people today without understanding, the idiots, what the Bible says, idiotes, without understanding. They don't understand. They just think, okay, you know, blanket statement of, you know, forgiveness and reconciliation. Hey, welcome this guy. Hey, bring this guy back. Bring this lady back. Bring this lady. Well, hold on. We're never called to be stupid. We have to make these distinctions. Onesimus isn't begotten of Alexander? Is it begotten of uh, Himenaeus? Is it begotten of the grave soaker? Is it begotten of the money preacher? Is it begotten of the replacement theology? Is it begotten of, you know, Mark of the Beast is to be saved guy? He's begotten of Paul. Regenerated by Paul. And Paul says, receive him as my own heart. I mean, say for example, take a guy or a gal who has wronged you, you know, let, who has, as Christians, a guy or a gal who has wronged you and you cut off fellowship and rightfully so you cut off fellowship. You're in the right. I mean, in this example, you're in the right. We don't know specific details, but in this example, you are in the right. And you take the guy or gal who has wronged them, the, the chief one, maybe there's like 10 people who have wronged you. Take the chief one, the number one guy or gal who has wronged you. <clears throat> and you take Christians in your life. And you take Christians in your life who say, receive him back, receive her back, whoever it is. Receive them back. Which Christian number one, you cannot do. Christian number two, you cannot do. Christian number three, you cannot heed that counsel. Number four, five, six, 10, 11, 12, 13, 20, 25, 28, 50, 52. You cannot heed that counsel. But say we have somebody like Paul. Who says... Receive him. 
as my heart. Now it's different. When Paul says, I have regenerated him, now it's different. Because counsel number 1, 2, 3, 4, 52, 58, 60, 72, 85, 89, 110, you cannot heed that counsel. But then somebody like Paul says, he, she, whoever it is, I've regenerated him. He was with me. I poured into him. I taught him. And he says, receive him as you would my own heart. Because there's a lot of guilt trippers today without understanding. They're idiots, idiotes, no understanding. And they guilt trip. And unassumingly, Christians, they heed counsel which they have no business heeding. And what do you see? Tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. But when a Paul, you know this is different. We're in different territory now. These are the distinctions which have to be made. I'm kind of sad, you know, in Philemon because we're officially at the end of Paul's letters. We've been with Paul for a long time now. We've been studying the writings of Paul for such a long time. But I'm also rejoicing at the same time. Because as he said, the word of God is not chained. It goes forth. To the ends of the earth and to the end of days, the word of God goes forth. But I have something else to say in closing. If you have a qualified shepherd, rejoice. Very rare. And they're growing more rare in these last days. And they will teach you. They will guide you. They will feed you. They will protect you. And they will die for you. It's their joy unto the Lord. But the church age is coming to its close. Also entering judgment which begins in the church as Brother Peter prophesied. You, my beautiful brother, you, my beautiful sister, might not have a qualified shepherd. But the remnant must grow in biblical koinonia. Remember, numbers matter not. This holy formula, and recipe is most likely to be found in the home fellowship. When we consider Philemon, Philemon could be you. Chloe, Chloe could be you. According to prophecy, in the last days, the church will enter crazy town. Crazy town, straight up local. Crazy town. But not so with the remnant. 
to the beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.